podcast. For us to survive, for us to thrive, parts of our lives just have to be connected on a really authentic level. Today's gonna be a little bit different, a wee bit unique, and that's because my guest is unique. His name is John Pearson. And John has the very interesting distinction of being the original male supermodel. For me, I always knew that if you had a good time and you really engaged with somebody, if you do that with genuine integrity, that transmits to the person who's looking at that picture. He's a guy who pioneered the male modeling profession. He was the most sought after male model throughout the 90s. And he was also the male face of George Michael's iconic Freedom music video, which was directed by a young David Fincher. And actually I went into George's trailer to rehearse the song and he actually forgot the words. <laughs> and I did the orange in one yeah. peel and chucked it and it landed perfectly all in <laughs> one. So I knew I was on the right track. Yeah. But it's important that you guys know that John is a friend. He's a kind, beautiful, and wise soul. And he's here today, not so much because of his past, although that is of course fascinating. He's lived a very unique life and we do go into it, but really more because of how he lives today. And it's all coming right up, but first. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is gonna be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton, birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about 
five years. And I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive. And the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily, personally, for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now, for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. Okay, in this conversation, we discuss mental health and modeling healthy masculinity, which are the themes that underscore John's very cool lifestyle and self-improvement digital magazine, which is called Mr. Feel Good. No matter how tired I am, no matter how worn out I am, I want to be present. You know, I want to be real. John is a very special guy. He's really one of my absolute favorite people. And I'm really excited to introduce you to him. So let's do that right now. This is me and John Pearson. Enjoy. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm so ready. I'm so ready. I'm delighted to have you here. Uh, I, you know, it's interesting because we've been friends for a couple of years and I know you, but I don't know you super well. And it's been really fun kind of doing a internet excavation of your life. You oh lived an goodness. incredibly interesting life. And the first thing I wanna explore with you is like my, the sense that I had kind of learning more and more about um, your journey uh, is this idea that if I had experienced one one hundredth of what you were exposed to as a young person mm -hmm. in your 20s, in New York, in London, Tokyo, these adventures that you've had, I, I would most certainly be dead. <laughs> like, how are you such a well-adjusted, grounded, you oh. know, gentle soul after, you know, all the things that you, you know, the, the kind of, uh, you know, worlds that you've navigated? Oh, wow, that's a big one. And thank you yeah. for that. Um, I think it was just very important for me from the start to sort of establish some sort of control or equilibrium about what I was uh, navigating as a young man going into this world, going mm -hmm. into this business, going into this thing that was so in contrast to where I came from. 
And it just, as a Yorkshireman from North England, you know, you always used to hear, don't ever change. So there was a real grounding roots in me anyway, growing mm. up where I wanted to just, I kind of loved the whole idea of adventure in life. And I was really from the age of four probably, but definitely from the age of 11, I was just really wanting to see everything and not be put in a box and explore and be excited about life. And it always came back to, okay, I can see all the chaos around me and I can dance within the chaos, but I have to stay grounded and rooted. And it wasn't yeah. something that was, you know, that I had some magic pill for. It took work and it took energy mm. and it took focus to sort of determine what kept me grounded. And at times, you know, it was pretty ma major during the 80s and yeah. 90s when I'm traveling and working nonstop twice to Europe in a week, working both times. And that went on for years, just to keep your sort of, keep your head. Right. You know? Yeah, I, I, it sounds as if there was some sort of uh, self defense mechanism inside of you that put up some guardrails. Cause I, I imagine that you've seen quite a bit of carnage. I mean, that period in the eighties and you know, late eighties, New York City, uh, oh. you know, the worlds that you were in. I oh. mean, there's gotta be like a lot of you know, dead friends in your wake as a result of Whoa. kind of lifestyle that was happening. Yeah, then. yeah, 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 they have. Um, it was incredible, it was incredible, it was incredible. And at times it was too much because at yeah. times the traveling and being the center of attention and turning up and playing the clown in a way, because I always felt part of my job description was to not be afraid to be the fool. So, mm -hmm. I could ex so I could be light, so I could be present, so that I could serve the people around me. And, um, but there were times when, yeah, it was, it was pretty mental, you know, is yeah. the, the traveling around the world, then going out, then doing crew dinners every night and always being on, always being on. And I think when I was in my mid twenties, I just got to this point where I just, I didn't want anyone to touch me, to come near me. I had multiple bookings for the next six months. And I said to my agent, much to his chagrin, you know, I, 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 I can't do this anymore. So I went off to Jamaica on my own, never been to Jamaica and uh -huh. spent a week there just sort of writing and meditating and being clear and trying to find peace. And then it actually, when I did that, when I came back, that was the first time that I feel I'd really honored myself and given myself the time. And that just shifted something in me. And I thought, oh, this, I, can, I can have control of myself. Mm -hmm. I can sort of figure these things out and navigate and know who I am. You know, I mean, it's mm -hmm. an ongoing project even at yeah. this age, but. Yeah, I mean, in 2022 to do that would be something that would be celebrated. But, you know, back then probably you were told like, you're crazy or why are you doing that? Or you need to do as you're told and show up or. I was never yeah, told no. you need to do as you're told. No, no way. Cause you no. hear these stories about no. the modeling world and you're no. a piece of meat and you show up here and you hit your marks and you, you no. know. Put on the put on the whatever they want you to do, but it sounds like your experience was more collaborative and healthy. It was, and I think if you know, if you, and I don't mean to sound self-righteous because I was very wobbly at times, but I think if you enter a room and you go into a place knowing who you are, people pick up on that. And if you want to be abused, mm. it can happen. But for me, I I never, you know, I never. I don't think, I, 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 I've fought at times with the idea of being a male model, because yeah. I'm a northerner, you know, and I'm from a, you know. <laughs> it is a weird it's thing. It's a weird thing. I mean, it's a thing like, <laughs> yeah. like uh, you know, you're, you're such a recognizable face. People that don't 
follow that world at all, probably see you and think, oh, I know that guy, or maybe I met him, or I know him from somewhere. I mean, there's no magazine that you haven't been in. So mm -hmm. at some point it gets imprinted on the unconscious mm. mind, but they don't know you. They yeah. may not know your name. And that has to be kind of disorienting for you as well, right? No, no, you're, really. you're like, I feel no. like I'm on, on the wrong track. Here. No, like no, I want, I want to answer yeah. your questions because I, you know, I disabuse I, me of I, I, all of these ideas. I, I, I look at myself, you know, and what I've done, and it's it's not very interesting to me. What I'm doing now is really yeah, interesting. We're going to me. get to that. No, I know. Um, but no, I mean, I'm trying to think. You know, I saw a lot of carnage, I saw a lot yeah. of. I saw a lot of behavior that wasn't great, but I always naturally was empathetic. And I was always, I was sort of brought up to stand up for people and stand up for myself. So I never really was chasing conflict, but I wanted to just make the day, which I do to this day, the mm -hmm. best day it could be. And, and I was working too hard and yeah, I had fun and you know, I, all my friends were the DJs in New York. So I'd come back to New York. I always had the best place to go to. I was in the yeah. DJ booth. I saw all that, I enjoyed all that. But I also had to get up the next day and I've always had this sense of responsibility and a work ethic, because I'm a working class boy from Yorkshire mm -hmm. to get there and do the best I can in the day with what I've got. Mm -hmm. So there was always a really grown up kind of stoic, get to it, you know, have a good attitude and that's where you'll succeed. And I was really, I was really focused about having an interesting life. That's uh -huh. what it's been. But as far as your question, you know, being just a pretty face and all those things and feeling, you know, I don't know, I didn't go to a great university or anything like that. I didn't have that education. I educated myself reading on books going across the Atlantic and around the world for 25 years. You know, that that I kind of wrestled with that at times during mm -hmm. my 20s because I was trying to figure out what I really wanted to do, what my purpose in life was. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I, I just got found peace with it eventually. And I just thought, look, I'm really... I can't swear, can I? I can, but yeah, anyway. Can. I'm really fucking lucky and fortunate. Literally, what I wanted to do, I was coming home from a girlfriend's place on two two buses on a Sunday night in rainy Yorkshire, and I saw this billboard of four, a couple, two guys, two girls in bikinis, sort of in trunks in the Seychelles. And I thought, oh, I want a bit of that life. And And literally within a year, it started to happen. And I never thought it'd go to where it went, but it did. Yeah, you know, so it's pretty amazing. I mean, you're in your fourth decade of doing oh, this thing. Oh man, really? <laughs> Come on, we're the same age. We can, we can, we yeah. can have this conversation. Own it. Yeah, but that sense of responsibility, mm. uh, that that sense of having to be a grown up, you know, came was visited upon you early, right? Like yeah. when your father passed away at yeah. a very young age. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my parents divorced when I was four years old. I have two older sisters and a mum. I went to live with them an hour and a half away. And my father for the, until I was 11, was a great father and saw us every other weekend, uh, but he passed away and, and yeah, it was, it was massive. It was massive. And I don't think with all respect to my family and those around me and being English, I think at that point in time, there was the sort of counseling and the support mm -hmm. that a young person would have. I was literally told by, someone to just go to my father's grave. You know, my mom asked someone, a man, a, 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 a supposed mentor, what, you know, have a word with John. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, little boy in a little cap in a little suit stood at his grave and, threw, and this guy said, oh, just chuck some dirt on there and say, don't worry, dad, I've got this. 
I'll look after everyone, really. <laughs> and I did. Like, you know, that's what I did. And when Amazing I looked, advice. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> you know, and then I was uh -huh. told by one of a family member, a senior family member, that I could go to private school and I could have a great you know, education, but I was terrified to leave my mother and my kids, you know, and I said, I'll get everything out of my mm -hmm. comprehensive school that I can get out of a private school. And I did, but I was, you know, it was just, it was, there wasn't that support system. There wasn't that yeah. understanding or that. No, no, no healthy male mentors. No healthy male models. mentors, no. So you just went and got a bunch of jobs, right? Yeah, started yeah. at 12 in the market, selling vegetables and fruit and was, you know, fantastic. I'd work from 7 a.m. till 5.30. I'd work with every kind of person, every sort of, you know, in the, from poor people, working class people, rich people, posh people, educated, not educated. I'd come home at night and I'd have five bags of old second fruit, which I'd sell again. I only made two pound 50 a day, half an hour mm. off in the, in the at lunchtime. And then I went from there into a jeans store, which is a really hip jeans store. And was a manager there within weeks and was the you know the best salesman in the whole 50 out of 53 stores. And so I just got busy and I got, and I just wanted to be independent and I wanted to get out there in the world. And I just wanted to have, you know, the career officer couldn't figure me out. They said, we know you'd do well, but um, we don't know what you'll do. You could go and work in the factory. And that was like, no, you know, I can't work. I, I want to see the world. I was. Mm. I loved American television shows and you know palm trees and California and yeah. So that dream was kind of uh, ruminating in the in the back of your consciousness, and then one day someone walks into the denim shop, right? Like, and this kind of changes everything. Yeah, yeah. I was I was selling stretch jeans and I loved it. <laughs> and uh, some this was the era. So this must have been like eighty. Three, like I think. 83, 84. This is Jordache and yeah. Brooke Shields. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that, exactly. That, yeah. We remember it well. <laughs> yeah, we could see the, the vision. years. Yeah, they know? were. So I was really, I was having a great time. And yeah, a guy came in and sort of said, hey, I'd like to take pictures of you. And at first I was a bit, what's this? A little bit uh, suspicious, but uh -huh. then I thought, let's have a go. And I was mad about sort of James Dean and Montgomery Cliff and American Gregory Peck and all the movies. And, and as soon as I got on a set, and I took my sister with me actually, because I was a little bit nervous, my own clothes, and he just started shooting. And I just felt really at ease. And I felt like, you know, I, I had that youthful sort of confidence and aspirations. And I just, I just, I just felt at ease, you know, and I thought, oh, this is fun. This is good. I can you know, I can make this happen. There's some joy in here, there's some energy. Yeah. So yeah. And how long between that experience and everything kind of clicking into place in New York City? Um, gosh, I think after that, my sister sent some pictures off to this magazine in London called Look Now, which was the, the sort of, you know, the teen, teen bopper sort of magazine of the day. And they invited me down to London. I think I'd only been to London once before to see a play with my school. Mm. And I went down, got in a black taxi for the first time, went to North London, went in, and there were two extraordinarily beautiful French girls. And I, I brought my cassette tape with me of all my music, shoved it on and uh, had an amazing time, shot an editorial. Then I went back up to Yorkshire that night and carried on working. And then they called me back and said, would you come and do another magazine and another cover? So I went down, did that. And I don't think, I wasn't even living in London then. I moved to London when I was 18. And again, I, had, I wanted to be an actor. I had no idea mm -hmm. what would happen, but the agency took me on. 
Um, I started working very quickly. I was like, okay, this is a bit weird. I wasn't sort of, I didn't feel that I looked like the male models that I'd seen in, you know, Vogue and everything else. I felt like a bit of a scruffy outsider. And then things started to happen. And then I went to Japan, I made a bit of money. I had an extraordinary experience in 86. And then the idea was to come to New York and on November the 4th, 1986, I flew to New York with a great buddy of mine. And about two days later, it just started to happen. I did the cover of Self with Uma Thurman. I, you know, I went in my first limousine. I saw, I met Cindy Crawford for the first time. She just arrived from Chicago. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And it just steamrolled. And I really thought that it was just going to be, you know, a couple of months and this is fun and I'll wait tables mm -hmm. and I'll be an actor and get into the actor's studio. And it just, started and yeah. it just was perpetual and it just you know I, I in those days as well you could book a client and you'd have them you know twice a year or four times a year for six or seven years so you really became it was before actors started going on the front and celebrities started going on the front of magazines so it was just this you know exponential immediate growth that happened and it sort of took me by surprise but I thought right I'm gonna make the most of this yeah I mean it was also like a timing thing because this was all occurring at the very beginning of this whole supermodel, you know, kind of obsession where What's culture, that? like this, the whole supermodel yeah. thing, right? Like wasn't a thing until like the mid, I mean, when did yeah. that start? I, I mean, you were there right when yeah. the genesis of that. Yeah. And it was this intersection of like music, rock and roll, culture, fashion, and and the kind of glossy magazine era. I mean, magazine, like it's just not what it was back then. Yeah. Like it was a big deal, right? Yeah. And all of that was kind of happening, you know, at the same time, it was like this perfect storm yeah. and New York seemed to be like the place where that was yeah. occurring. And then there you were. Yeah, how lucky am yeah. I? It was great. And yeah. these, these women become yeah. household names, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, and you're right there. Like, yeah. I wanna talk about the George Michael video. Yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. crazy, yeah, right? Like, yeah. it's just so iconic, all of it. Yeah, no, it was, it was, you know, it was a magical moment. It was, as you say, like a fusion of fashion and, and film and excitement and youth. And there was a real movement. And yeah, yeah, that great cover, I forget what year it was, but it was around 91, maybe 92 of uh, Peter Lindbergh shot of all the girls on the cover of Vogue. And then the freedom video, and I was the right. guy. I was one of the guys, yeah. but I was sort of the prominent guy, and I almost didn't do it. So it's really funny, but it was only because I knew the girls, because I worked with them a lot, and I thought, all right, I'll do this. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it was a magical time. It was extraordinary. It was vital. It was happening. It was dynamic. It was a great time to be alive in New York at that time. It really was. I hadn't watched that video in a while, and I watched it last night, and I was like, wow. Oh, like man. It, it does not. There's nothing about it that feels dated or aged. I mean, yeah. the song is so, so incredible, yeah. and the you know the women are just radiant in oh. that. And then you're like you are the stand-in for George Michael, like yeah. you are his sort of yeah. id or you know uh, super ego yeah. throughout that video. It's really quite something, and I couldn't help but think like this is part of the myth making of of what the supermodel you know was at that time and it's sort of like this touchstone of where the culture was because that, mm. that video was also directed by David Fincher, right? Yeah, it One was, of his yeah. early things, yeah. like. He was just, I think he was just editing his first alien movie, or right. the alien movie, his first feature, yeah. 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 So all of those like, you know, culturally relevant people in one place at one time. Yeah. 
It was, was George Michael like there behind yeah, the scenes? Like, I, I should tell you, yeah. I should tell you that was a crazy week because I was literally working in New York. I flew to Stockholm. I shot in Stockholm. I took a train to Lapland. I shot two nights in Lapland during their summer. So there was, I was in this hotel room with blackout blinds and I literally still had to sleep with my head in the bathroom at the back of the room because it was still coming through. I left there, I went to Paris, I did a night shoot for a, I think it was, it wasn't a brandy, because yeah, it was a brandy ad at the Garda Nord. So I did a night mm. shoot, then I flew to London at six in the morning, straight from the shoot, a, a car picked me up. I had to learn the song on the way to the studios. Because um, you're lip syncing. I'm lip syncing it. And it. I was yeah. really sort of like, I want to learn this. You know, I didn't yeah. know there'd be an auto cue. So I was really keen, but it was a really easy song to get into, but there's a couple of, couple of verses that are tricky because they're so similar. Um, put it on and we'll sing it. No, um, and, <laughs> Not me. No, and, and then I got there and, you know, first person I saw was Christy, and that, which was great. It was a delight. I, I shot my days with Christy and with Linda. I mean, amazing people, mm -hmm. amazing humans, incredible, incredible models, really, and, and, and humans more so. Um, and I met George, you know, and, and actually I went into George, George's trailer to rehearse the song and he actually forgot the words. Mm. <laughs> so I was pleased that I'd learned them and, and it just was, it was a magical day. It was a magical day. And I literally wore my own clothes that I turned up in. Oh. Camilla, the stylist, you know, she said, oh, just wear that. I had long johns on, I think, and yeah. wore my own clothes. And, and nothing happened that day and then the, the producer came over to me and sort of said, oh, can, are you free tomorrow? Can you shoot tomorrow? Because we've got a wrap today. I said, sure. He said, you don't mind doing it for free? I said, yes, I do. I said, I know how uh, much they're getting. And I was really, <laughs> I was really sort of- uh -huh. I was, it, like it's, You're it, lucky it's to work, be in this. It's working yeah. class though, but it was that sort of principle thing. So I came back the next day and I had an orange and I was peeling an orange and David came over with George and said, right, John, hi, nice to see you. You know, uh, what should we do? He said, I like the way you're peeling your orange. I said, well, last night I saw this great picture of Paul Newman outside the Actors Center sat in a doorway looking at the script. He said, perfect. And he built me the frame. Mm. And literally it was three takes and we had it done. Uh, yeah, because you're lounging back. Yeah, lounging very, back. And, and, uh, and, I, and I did the orange in one yeah. peel and chucked it and it landed perfectly all in one. <laughs> so I knew I was on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. But was there a sense? Nobody could have known like what what a big deal that video was going to be. I mean, times were different. We lived in much more of a monoculture and MTV yeah. was important then. Yeah. And when videos like this premiered, it was an event, right? And yeah. that video definitely struck a cultural chord at the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I really just thought it was another job, which sounds yeah. very sort of, um, I hope it doesn't sound arrogant, but it was like another job. And I was off to another job the next day. Mm. And I didn't realize the importance, the, the gravitas of it until I was working about three months later, because also in those days, which, which was lovely, there was an anticipation of seeing the work three months later. Sure. And it wasn't immediate and it wasn't forgotten. And then it became, it sort of built its iconic status in a way. And you waited to see those things. And um, and I was, in a, I was in a hotel shooting in a bar in Miami and suddenly the, the television was on in the back and it was MTV and it came on and everyone just started bopping and oh, wow, wow. And I was like, okay, I think I'm in this if they haven't cut me out. <laughs> and the opening scene I think is my nose. And then suddenly it happened. I thought, oh, that's pretty right, good. Cause you, you sing the first verse. Yeah. You're like the yeah. first person yeah. we see, yeah. I, I believe, yeah. right? Yeah, no, for yeah. sure, yeah. And then, and then of course, it just became this phenomena which yeah. went on and on and to this day, and I really didn't understand the importance of it until later. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I, when I, well, you know, I, I, I'm just really glad to be a part yeah. of it now. Did you ever cross paths with George again after that? Um, I saw him once in the Ivy and he was absolutely lovely. Uh -huh. And um, and I wish I'd seen him more. He was yeah. such a talent. He was so yeah. extraordinary. Oh, that's the other thing. When I met him for the first time, this is, uh, I think it was just bravado. It's just boyish stuff. I went up, I said, oh, hello, George, I know you. I know all about you because our birthdays are two days apart, but you're two years older than me. That was the first line I said to him. Uh -huh. And he kind of looked back at me like, who's this strange person? But then we just, you know, we just got on really well. He was very warm. He was... He was into it and he was yeah. just right there and he really wanted to make a statement. Over the course of your career, you've worked with essentially every great photographer. What is your sense of like what makes for a great image? And mm. how do you think about like the myth-making of, of those images? Because so many of the campaigns that you've been involved with are really about telling a story or you know, creating um, you know, a sense of, of an aspirational lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. that, that like inspires people. There's a dark side to it, I suppose as well, but there's something kind of really cool from a creative perspective mm. to work with such talented people mm. who kind of understand the power of what they're creating. Um, what was the question? Yeah, I don't know. It was really <laughs> more like, uh, here's, a, here's like, I'm throwing you this yeah, ball. Like, um, I, it's just a, more like a, what like makes something it, I want to better understand, like right. just like working with these amazing image makers. Yeah, you know, I, like what makes them great? Like what what is the difference between you know somebody who is utilitarian as yeah. a photographer and that person who just sees something that no one else sees and yeah. can capture that? It's I mean I work with everyone, and I like you say, and I've I've worked at every level, and I'm you know I've still to this day, I'm very grateful to work at the, the high level as well and do campaigns, but it's when someone's got a signature and if someone's got a si signature of a look or the way they are, they're very set in the way they want to produce something and they're concentrated and the environment around them is all on the same level of support, uh -huh. then you just know, you knew that you were in the company of people who would be doing something, would be photographing you in, in a way that elevated the whole day. And you knew you were in great hands and you learned from that. And then you were free within that to sort of create. I was always looking to do stuff that was different because I, you know, I got sick of looking at myself and you mm -hmm. kind of, you just want to see what can I learn here. So I picked up the, the people who are really amazing are the people that are concentrated and they really, love what they do and they have a signature which is which sort of separates them from the mass and they they are sincere with that and they I, I just immediately think of peter Lindbergh, mm. who was extraordinary he had such joy and he loved what he did and he worked hard and he put everything into it but he ran a set that was all you know focused on us all having a wonderful time and also getting the great image that would stand the test of time. And they really, they do and they will. Mm -hmm. All his pictures are amazing. Yeah, yeah. And there's a yeah. few people like that. And we had great art directors, Fabian Baron, you know, was extraordinary and Trey Laird. And I worked with them on multiple campaigns and editorials and they were characters and they really knew what they wanted. And they were, they were ahead of the day, they were the pioneers. And so you, you just soak it all up and you mm -hmm. learn to read a room. That's what you do. You learn to read a room and you, you learn to, if there's, you know, I'm, I'm very sensitive to people, empathetic, I think. And, and it, for me, it was really important as well 
and I, it is really important just to treat everyone with respect, no matter whether the craft people or the people you know who were paying my bill. You know. Yeah. Well, I think so. that that's that must be part and parcel of your your kind of longevity recipe, right? It's a it's a. I mean, fashion is a youth obsessed yeah. culture and business. Yeah. You've been you're, you've been doing this for decades. Yeah. You still book and you still work. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're unbelievably handsome, and we all know that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're a beautiful man, please. John. But ultimately, I have to believe that you you know people want to hire people they like to work with. Yeah. But they've wor- they've had good experiences yeah. working with in the yeah. past, and you know, fashion. I'm sure is you know sort of spitting out people all the time yeah. who are you know handsome or beautiful or yeah. what have you, but are difficult or not team players and. Yeah don't respect the process or whatever it is. So the fact that you're still so, you know, actively, you know, engaged in this world is, you know, a tribute, I think more to your kind of life philosophy or the manner in which you treat people. I mean, I've been around you enough to know, you know, what a lovely human you are and how curious you are about other people and the kind of level of respect and care that you inject all of your interactions with. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's um, I think it was always for me one of the one of the reasons was I just wanted to rebook and I knew that was really interesting. So that was almost conscious. So there was an element of that which was, you know, being a salesman. I think that came from my market days. And I think, but all I mean, though, to me, I looked at magazines and when I was in Italy, all these Americans were there and I hadn't really met Americans before, and they were all gymmed up and six packed and everything else. And that was so not me. We were the sort of you know. We prided ourselves, our, my little sort of motley crew of Europeans, our our little tribe on, you know, Richard Burton and Peter O'Toole and drinking and going out and, you know, we don't go to the gym and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, now I'm the age I am, I'm like, okay, I should have <laughs> maybe looked after myself a bit more. But, um, but no, it was always about that. It's always about feeling good. It's always about raising the day. We're really fortunate mm. to do what we do and and to have the life and the places I've been and the people I've met. And it was just, well, I've got to have a good attitude with that. There's always going to be better looking. There's always going to be someone new on the block. But for me, it was always about connecting with the people on more than just the superficial level. Mm. I wanted to really engage. I am naturally curious in people's stories. So... You know, I'm you know, I'm just grateful that I'm here. I, I literally went from a young stud to a granddad, you know. I've done it all. And it's kind of ridiculous, but and I can't believe it. I'm still here doing it occasionally. But I really have a lot of joy in doing yeah. it now because I can help the young kids and I can tell the stories and it's different, of course. But you know, you can you can uh it's just great. I I, I feel it's great to be involved in a collaborative creative pursuit. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone who comes into that circle should be respected and should be given time and attention. You know, I think it's I think, you know, we all we, we all have a good time. Yeah. Everyone's gonna remember it. And you remember those moments twenty years later, someone will come up to me and say, Oh, thank you, you gave me this advice and it really helped and I can't remember it. But at the time, yeah. because you had a genuine connection, it meant you something. Think part of that is a reaction to the fact that you didn't have anybody like that yeah. when you were a young person. Yeah, and you I feel do. This obligation. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. I do. And I think part of my success, dare I say, as a performer, was in a way probably to get a validation mm-hmm. or get an approval. You know, and and maybe that's why I was really searching yeah. for it a lot, and so I managed to take care of everybody. But yes, I think it definitely has something to do with it, as well as wanting to have an extraordinary life. Yeah. Mm. And now you have 
Mr. Feelgood as an outlet to express that curiosity, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. And, and probably on some level also like looking for mentors or introducing an audience to people who can be mentors. Like I think about this podcast in a similar way. And yeah. in thinking about the lack of mentors that you had, I was reflecting on my own life, thinking who were my mentors and realizing that you know, I had a great dad, but it's often not the parent that you're mm -hmm. looking to, to be the mentor. And I had a bunch of really unhealthy people who were mm. giving me not great advice mm. as a young person, despite having a lot of opportunity. Like I didn't have a really good mentor. And I thought maybe this podcast is like this oh. latent desire to like, you know, continue to find those people that I didn't have when I was, when I was younger. Yeah. And yeah. Mr. Feelgood obviously feels similar in that regard. Yeah, I mean, mentor, it's just, such a vital part for a healthy mental and, and physical life as well. And I didn't have a mentor, like you say, but I, I made a, I made a, I really remember consciously, especially after my father died, making all my best friends and I had a wide circle of friends. I was really more so engaged with trying to find a sort of hybrid of what a man should be. So I, I got very close with all their fathers uh -huh. And they were all amazing. You know, someone taught me about humor. Someone taught me about, you know, being professional, about dress, what you, how you presented yourself. Someone, you know, made me want to read. So I, I sort of picked out this, uh, made this sort of imaginary, not perfect man, but a pretty mm -hmm. good man to get, to navigate life from that. And, uh, and that was extraordinary. But at, at the same time, there was a sort of, you know, there was a, I was dealing with this grief of losing a parent without any kind of support. And and so that was, I didn't want to infringe on my friends' relationships yeah. with their dads as well, you know. And uh, But the Mr. Feelgood is really a, yeah, it's a culmination born out of sort of not being able to travel anymore and knowing mm. all these people and having all these adventures and really being interested in people and in, you know, ways of thinking and of ways of living and making money and everything else. and. And it was really designed as a, the, the genesis of it was as a pushback to the toxicity that we all were collectively experiencing during the pandemic yeah. and the political division, but also just wanting to really put something out there that was positive, that was helpful, that unified people that, and especially with men, you know, I grew up with all women, but I'm mm -hmm. equally happy in a car or a room full of men. But I was always quite open in my environment as well growing up, talking about things that mattered, feelings and, you know, it was kind of encouraged and I thought it was really important for men especially to communicate properly. And mm -hmm. I don't care, you know, what your sexuality is, what your socioeconomic background is, your education. I just think that if we all sat around a campfire in the Mojave Desert under a beautiful sky, we're gonna have a beautiful experience together and we're gonna learn something. So with Mr. Feelgood, I continue to do it and enjoy it and thrive in it because I'm learning so much from the people. It's like you, mm -hmm. it's like you, you get these people yeah. in front of you and you can actually talk to them and learn stuff. And it's, and it's just so inspiring to me, but at the same time, it's so useful. And as a father of three kids, two boys and a girl, you know, it is, it takes a village. You know, it takes yeah. a village to raise your kids. And I'm really aware of that. And I'm really grateful for that as well. Cause you know, they look at me like, 
dad, what are you doing? You know, yeah. oh yeah, dad, you know, ah, <laughs> oh, dad, you know. But then if I talk to a good friend of mine and, mm-hmm. and he drops a little bit of advice, you see them open up and I'm mm-hmm. so grateful it's for It's funny that. how that works, right? Yeah. Like everything I do, my kids think is cringeworthy. You know, oh, of course, yeah. right? Oh. It doesn't, it just Well, doesn't imagine being a male model. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, the level of shit that they must get. Oh you. man, yeah, must no, be epic, right? It, yeah, it is. It is. Mm. But I think they, you know, they know when to stop because yeah. I'll get too sensitive and insecure, and they're like, back yeah. off from dad, you know. We're brought to you today by Recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem. A problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media.
Mr. Feelgood is this pandemic baby, like you birthed this thing when we're all locked down and I'm sure you're you know, trying to figure out how to exert your creative voice in a moment in which we can't travel and all of that. And I do think that there's something really necessary and urgent about speaking to the mental health of, mm. of, of, of men. Like mm. there is, despite, look, there's a lot of progress and things have changed quite a bit, but there, there aren't quite the level of resources that are available for women in that regard. And I'm not sure there really is that sense of permissiveness mm. that is required for men to engage in a vulnerable and real way with mm what we've sort of been taught our whole lives to kind of repress, like that advice to, you know, yeah. look at your dad's tombstone and just push it down and move along. Yeah. You know, like that is still probably the the reigning paradigm when it comes to men and mental health. And if there's anything, you know, that I'm trying to speak to, it's 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 kind of upending that paradigm and and that feels very much at the heart of what you're, you know, attempting to do as well. Yeah, I mean, it's what you do, it's what I do. It's you know, there's some great people out there doing it. And I think it's vital work for us all to sort of own every aspect of ourselves and try and deal with it. So yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, but you can't deliver that message in a clinical way. And I like how you've wrapped it in fashion and music with beautiful photography and mm. storytelling and kind of this um, very specific interview style where you kind of ask the same questions to yeah. all of these guests. So you're delivering a certain kind of product that feels more like a glossy fashion magazine, but with a certain heart and intentionality about it that doesn't exist in that world. Yeah, and, and that was really born out of when Pete Sampson, my co-founder of Mr. Feelgood, mm -hmm. who's 20 year veteran Fleet Street journalist, you know, very smart. And I knew him because his wife worked with my wife, uh, creatively and he so we knew each other a little bit but he came up to me just he called me just before lockdown and said can I have a word with you I want to talk to you about something I said sure I was interested mm -hmm. I met him for lunch and he sort of had a rough idea of what Mr. Feelgood was he sort of conceived it and he liked my writing and Instagram or something like that because it was honest I suppose and there was something to it but really, I remember it so clearly. I was shopping around this uh, this thing that I'd written and produced, uh, an art show. And mm -hmm. at the time, just before lockdown, that I'd been working on for a couple of years. But he, he, it was the way he spoke to me and the way he was vulnerable. He, you know, just stopped drinking and he was tired of doing the same old thing all the time, being this, you know, this sort of, reporter that went around the world and a little bit of sensationalism in there, you know, mm -hmm. it's that sort of vibe. And he was so honest when he talked to me, when he sat opposite me, he was so open and he was vulnerable. And he, he was not a guy, I, usually I'd see him at airports and we'd, you know, smoking cigarettes, having a drink at the bar. And to see him in this position, it just really, it really spoke to me. And I said, well, let's develop it, let's play, let's see what we can do. I love the idea. And event, originally he was just gonna sort of use me as a front man as I've been used all these times and I could come in and come out. And, you know, it was a sort of vanity project. But the more I thought about it and exchange ideas with him, the more I realized that it was something a value and it could be something that could really help. And also I could, you know, I could utilize my experience on every level in various careers or, you know, professions and the people, the relationships that I built, which really for me, you know, the, in the 90s when I was in LA and I was, you know, really shooting everything, 
people used to talk about networking mm. and I hated that phrase. I hated that word because it felt so insincere. Right. It felt like it was sleazy and you're just going after something to get something. Yeah, and mm. I just, you know, I didn't want to be, I don't know why, and but I just felt it was a bit dirty and I wanted to have a proper conversation. I wanted to connect with people. And if I said I do something for someone, I would absolutely do it and I would today. It's just, it, it doesn't, I don't second guess that at all. So I don't know, I think, I think, uh, I don't even know, sorry, I've lost, you've lost me. Yeah, just the, the idea of like, uh, I think what you're getting at is you have decades of relationships that you've built organically with the best of intentions over many years. And now you have this yeah. digital media project, yeah. you know, idea that you're trying to birth into the world and you can tap into all of these people with whom you have tremendous goodwill because you've yeah. worked with them for many years. So you're able to like, get these incredible photographers yeah. and you have access to talent and studio space and all yeah. these sorts of things. Cause it's sort of like, I look at it like, well, I've been doing this 10 years and now we're in a place where we can have this studio and I can have people I love your me studio, and all this kind of stuff. Way, yeah. But you come out of the gate and it's like, this is oh, an expensive man. proposition. You yeah. know, like you're gonna, you wanna work with like, top tier people and deliver at the highest level, like that doesn't happen cheaply. Yeah. And you know, it's one thing to develop an audience over time where you can monetize it in a certain way and kind of square the budget, but mm. you've bit off a lot and it's ambitious, right? So I'm interested in the business side of it and how you're making that work. I mean, I know you have brands now who are coming in, who are supporting you and, and, and you know, the legacy of your, your career has, uh, you know, allowed people to step in and, and who believe in you and yeah. who are willing to support you. Yeah, I mean, I'm really fortunate, and also I'm married to someone within the industry, mm -hmm. and and you know, we've forged genuine friendships, and I hope respect for certainly I have respect for the people around me, you know, over over three decades, and and so and also we're at a period where you know photographers and teams want to work and they want to show their work without too much interference. And I choose those people or those people come to me and, you know, because I want them to flat, yeah. to blossom as well. So I want to give them space and, and a, a sort of page to do what they want to do. And we're just, I'm really grateful for all the teams. I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't think it would mm -hmm. happen like this, but I, I kind of, had confidence in in my relationships, and once we'd done a couple of issues, and you know, I opened with an interview with all the girls from the Freedom video. Right. Agreed, it was a thirtieth anniversary, and I sort of tentatively, you know, texted uh, Christy Turlington and asked her if she would be interested. And she was straight in and brought all the other girls in and spoke to Tatiana, and they were so supportive, you know. And that was just like and that's okay. a very tantalizing way to launch. Yeah, you know, it was, people yeah. are going to be interested in yeah. reading about that. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was the thirtieth anniversary of yeah. that, this iconic video. So as far as business goes, yeah, we're we're getting advertising. It's mm. starting to come that's in. Great which is amazing. Um, but we're also, you know, we're finding our way. We, you know, we yeah. decide, we still, we're, we're trying to de determine, and I say this and I feel vulnerable saying it, but I, we're trying to determine where we are, what exactly we will be. Um, I just know that we're, we're a community that's building of great creatives, but everyone is welcome having a great conversation and trying to learn and support one another and, you know, pull down prejudice and sort of have an open mind. I just want to learn. And mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like all the people that are around us, working with us and for us are sort of in that same vein, you know? And I mean, I get letters every week from really good photographers and creative people wanting to work with oh, us. And cool. it, it's just a case yeah. of, 
you know, we're not a big operation yeah. right now. So <laughs> we're, we're doing every yeah. single job. And that's another thing that I, it was a learning curve for me. I, I had to, I mean, and you helped me so much in this in your conversations because I had to break through so many comfort zones because I was the guy that was always helping everyone out and doing that. And that's my natural you know, personality, I think. But also I suddenly had to work on a deadline. I had mm. to be accountable. I had to write every week, mm. you know. I had to trust that I could walk onto a set having been the model, the subjects, and direct the set and make mm. sure everyone did a great job and they kind of, you know, be the creative director on that. So use everything that I'd seen firsthand from the best professors in the cultural business mm -hmm. and just trust that I could you know, I could execute this and make the person feel good and relaxed and know that I'm after the truth of what they've got to say because that's what I value most. So, yeah. you know, it's a learning curve that continues to this day. I mean, it's yeah. it's never ending. Well, I think, huh. I think, and I say this all the time, it's important, especially in the, the kind of nascent stages of anything creative that's ongoing like this, is remaining open and flexible and, and being in that space of letting it tell you what it wants to be, like not being rigid and saying, yeah. this is what we're doing. Like, okay, here's what we're doing now, but let's mm. learn like, oh, maybe it would be cool if we move over here or we do this. And I've seen some evolution already with you. I think mm. one of the things that we talked about early was originally it was, it was, it was photographs and, and written material, but you've evolved into like, you put it out as a podcast and you have YouTube mm. videos. Like you kind of have to be everywhere now. Yeah. And I think we talked about how important video is. Like you can't, there's no way around it. Like you have to yeah. make that part of the thing. And that's an expensive proposition, you know, especially in the early, you know, phases of what you're trying to do. Yes, it is. And yes, you know, you can, you know, and, and obviously being a, I kept a journal for 10 years, but apart from that, and I was a big reader, mm -hmm. as I said, so I was intimidated by what I read. So that stopped me from writing so much, you know, so, but going through this process of having to write and be accountable um, has been extraordinary. And um, yeah, I just, I, I, I don't know. We're just doing the best we can every every day and, you know, slaying the dragons as they come. But I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I don't know whether I'm at that point where you are, where you just kind of go with it. I'm still like trying to keep all these sp uh, plates spinning yeah. and have some degree of control um, just because there's so much to do. You know, I do mm -hmm. everything. So with, a, with, you know, with Pete, of course, and mm -hmm. Alison as well, but um, it's, I, I saw your thing the other day about 10 years, your 10 year anniversary. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, I'm, just over two years in now of doing this 24 seven of working on this, you know, night and day really. And I thought, oh my goodness, it's a long way to go. <laughs> I've got a long way to well, go. Well, you have to create some kind of sustainability yeah. measures for yourself yeah. because you can't, you can't transmit something you haven't got. And yeah. if part of the message or a big part of the message is self care, mental mm. health, et cetera, if you're, on a track to burning out and yeah, you're not yeah. able to like exercise that yeah. yourself, then you can't transmit that message properly. You gotta practice right? what you preach, yeah. And it's something I've, you know, I've run up against this I'm myself. Sure it have. becomes very difficult. Like yeah. all this wellness is making me unwell, yeah, right? All, yeah, this, all yeah. this talk about mental health is, is diseasing my mind, right? Yeah. Like how do you strike that balance for yourself as, an entrepreneur who's, you know, it's scrappy and you gotta like make yeah. it happen that it, it falls on your shoulders and all of that. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you, the what, the way you put everything out just blows my mind. You know, well, it's, I have it's, tons of people helping me now. I know, you know but you know, you've it's evolved into. Yeah, that. no, and and it's very, very impressive and effective. With us, it's literally, you know. I shoot it on iPhones for the most mm. part, and I send it to my nephew, who's a film, yeah. you know, an actor and a film student in London, and he edits it with me or with us. Yeah. And uh, it's very scrappy, as you know, because I interviewed you. It was mm. one iPhone then, and I still haven't gotten around to edit yeah. that yet. <laughs> um, but but I understand the value. So yeah, so the value of you know, I was writing these tomes to my interviews at the beginning. Uh-huh. And you know, Pete sort of saying, "John, fifteen thousand words is a bit too many. Let's bring it down to fifteen hundred or three thousand. Yeah. And I was so protective because it was really important for me to get the essence of the human being. And Pete's a lot more, thank goodness. He's a great editor, and he's pragmatic and he's factual and he's you know he's to the point. Whereas I'm really a bit more. I don't know, emotional and I, I wanna really, I feel I need to connect with this human being and I, and I feel a great responsibility to the people that I interview as mm-hmm. well as I'm sure you do. Yeah. And so video is a way, I think it's just of the zeitgeist now, it's of the movement, people get their information that way. So we, we're, we're working on that now and improving mm-hmm. that and you know, it's just a question of time and being able to do everything and at the same time, bring up a family and you know, and yeah. provide for yourself and, just crack on, you know. Yeah. So I'm learning as I go. I really am one foot in front of the other, trying to keep calm at many times, trying to learn how to look after myself within the chaos, which is challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is challenging. So, um, but like you say, yeah, you've got to you've got to be well to really, with integrity, speak about wellness and hope to help other people. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, for sure. And listen, you know, I say that as somebody who's constantly out of balance. Like, I, it's oh, not anything that. that I that I have mastered by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. I just know from experience, and being you know massively out of balance at times, you know, the pressures that that create, and the level of you know dissonance that you feel as this person who has a sense of responsibility to the audience. You know, yeah. it's sort of like if you're out of balance, then yeah. how powerful is this message that you're putting out? Yeah. Like it's gonna fall flat, yeah. like on a spiritual energetic yeah. level, yeah. right? It's yeah. not integrated. It's yeah. not, you know, it's not in lockstep with who you are. So staying on top of that, I think is really important. And I think that goes back for to what we were talking about in pictures, in, in stills and in videos. For me, I always knew that if you had a good time, and you really engaged with somebody and you got lost and you weren't afraid to be a fool and to be daft and to, you know, my responsibility, especially as I got older was, I really wanted to take care of the people who were in the photograph with me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make them comfortable, whether it's a girl or a kid or baby or whatever else, or another man, you know, you want to, and I think if you do that properly and you do that with genuine integrity, that transmits to the person who's looking at that picture and that's just the way it is and so, you know, I always want to, no matter how tired I am, no matter how worn out I am, I want to be present. You know, I want to be, I want to be real. Yeah. The, uh, we talked about um, the other day when we got together, uh, I was asking you about how you define success for yourself and, and family really is at the center of all of this for you, right? Yeah. And Mr. Feelgood is kind of a, a way of, honoring that on some level tangentially, like what's important to you in the work that you do and how you live your life. 
Yeah, it was really, it was, it was crystal clear to me at an early age that I wanted to be present for my kids as a father. I wanted to really experience the full gamut of what being a father That's was. That's not very rock and roll, John. I know it isn't, I know yeah. it isn't, I know it isn't, <laughs> but it, it isn't, no, it isn't. But it, it really, I think I, I think I was probably so damaged from it or not yeah, really- Yeah, the trauma think, of, of losing your dad yeah, at I a think, young age. I, I think that was yeah. it. And, I, and I, I just really felt that if I didn't, no, my, and I was really on a, you know, a, a high with my life and my work and my career at this point. But I just thought if I didn't have a family, especially with my wife, you know, and have children and really put the, my time and energy into that. It sounds so sanctimonious. I don't mean to be sanctimonious. It sounds so, but it, it was really clear to me that that was important mm -hmm. to me. I wanted to create what I didn't have. I chose a partner who was, came from the contrasting background who had that. And it was really important that I live and my kids live in as much as a drama-free zone as possible where we could just, you know, breathe and, and go after what we want and have mm -hmm. a good life. So that was really clear to me. And that kept me, that kind of kept me grounded, I think. I mean- But how did you do that in the context of a career where you have to go away and come back? It's not a nine to five thing where you drive down the street to an office yeah. and come home at dinner time every day. I think, it, I think it helped in a way. I think because my wife traveled as well and worked mm -hmm. for magazines for Vogue and for Harper's Bazaar for years and still does. and not for them, but for other other mags. But um, I think it sort of, it enriched the relationship ending. I go away and I have friends all over the world. I have mm. these rich creative sort of experiences and I got to breathe and explore and I came back and that was my story to tell. You know, that was my way of then giving everything when I was at home and everything when I was away. Um, and being this like citizen of the world. Yeah, and it was really, you know, it was good. And it, I think it was inspiring for my kids as well to an extent, or they grew up seeing this dad who was traveling here. But Ali, uh, my wife used to go away two months of a year to do the collections and go mm -hmm. New York, Paris, Milan, etc. And I would try and stay at home. And we had help at that time, but I was really conscious of being there. And, you know, I really wanted to be a great dad. I don't know, I'm yeah. sure my kids would say kids, I am. The, how, what are the ages now? You have one, your son, you have a son at NYU, right? No, he's back, he's, he, he, he uh, graduated. Uh, he was at NYU, Clive Davis School of Music. That's Cooper, mm. he's 26. Uh, Elliot's 23 um, and Marley is in New York. She's the only one away yeah. and she's uh, 19. Wow. So, you know, and, and, and you know, they're, they're incredible kids. They really are, they're incredible people. Um, they're better than what I could have expected. You know, I think it's down to my missus more than me. I think I'm the crazy one, um, but they're amazing people. They're, my, they're the best people I know. They're extraordinary people. Mm -hmm. Don't get me started because it'll, you know, I'll get my hankies out. Yeah, and, well, and, and, and so from a dad perspective, like what do you think you did right? <sighs> I don't know, that. I don't know. <laughs> what didn't I do wrong? Yeah. Um, I think, I really don't know, that's such a big question. I think the way you treat your partner, they pick up on that. The way you um, treat other people, they mm -hmm. pick up on that. I think the way you deal with stress, which, which at times, especially when I, we came back to America, you know, is quite difficult for a little while. Um, they pick up on that. And I think you just, I think you really, and again, I think it's really important to learn to listen and to, you know, especially now, especially when we're on phones all our, all, you know, all day long and there's so many distractions. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to 
sit down at a dinner table and listen and have them with other grown-ups when they were little. And, you know, our house was the house that all the kids' friends came to, sat around our table, and they all felt very, you know, free and able to speak, um, you know, talk about anything they wanted to talk about. Because I had a friend when I was eight years old who invited me to his house and his family sort of took me in. And they, you know, allowed me to do that. And that was subconsciously, that became our home. So I don't know what it is. I think it's partly who they are anyway, what they're born with. And it's not perfect by any means, but it's Mm. just a work in progress. And, And ultimately, ultimately it's about love. You know, it's about being there for somebody. I mean, my... It, it, it's it's just being there and knowing when to step back and let them be them and let them express themselves and let them, you know, confide in you or not confide in you, giving them that space and respect. You know, that's yeah. kind of what it feels like we do. Yeah, on, on, on some level modeling, yeah. quote unquote, yeah. a, a healthy masculinity, right? And, and masculinity being kind of, you know, it's interesting. Like I, I wanna dive into this idea of masculinity because what mm. you do for a living and what you get paid to do is a version of modeling a type of masculinity that like spills out into popular culture. Mm. And then Mr. Feelgood is a way of modeling like a, you know, and that's a voiceless thing. The mod is like, there's no, you don't have a voice in that. You have a, you have an image, you know, it's true, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. true, yeah. So, so Mr. Feelgood is almost like uh, yeah. the antidote to yeah. that. I, I yeah. wanna express myself yeah. and here's how I think about masculinity yeah. in a healthy way in the context of a culture in which there's too much toxic masculinity. Like, how do you think about that issue and how you kind of shoulder the responsibility for being an example of you know a healthy male in a world in which you think a lot about mentors and the kind of message that you're putting out into the world. I think it's um, you know also with the work I do and did for so long you know it's I didn't have a voice. Mm-hmm. but I did have a voice in a way between the clicks of the camera. I never, I rarely felt insecure because I wouldn't allow myself to feel insecure because I knew I was mm-hmm. the center of attention. And, and perhaps I clothed that in a way that made me who I was on set and made me want to get the approval to some degree and make everyone feel good. Um, it, it's, you know, it's funny. I've just shot these five gentlemen for Mr. Feelgood and they're from all different walks of life. And it's incredibly incredible how some of them are very awkward in front of the camera. Uh-huh. And I understand that, but, um, and they all say, wow, it's really hard work. I didn't realize how, how, how hard the work was. And it, it doesn't seem like it is from the outside, but when you're sort of firing on 12 cylinders and you really want to be present, it, it, it's, it's, it's proper graft, mm-hmm. it's proper work. They all confirmed that this yeah. last week, which is interesting. <laughs> Um, so, but yes, I mean, Mr. Feelgood really was a vehicle for me to use what I've learned and express and learn more about having a voice and having a purpose and doing something which has, you know, foundations that hopefully will spill out and support other people who are feeling lost, especially men, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's, it, we try and make it that it's not too woo-woo. We want it to be pragmatic. We want to, I mean, at the moment we're gratefully, you know, 
interviewing the fantastic actors, but I really want to, I, I, you know, I'm really interested in talking mm -hmm. to people who aren't famous. I, I just, everyone's got a story and I just think it's really important to have a conversation that's- Yeah, I mean, you have an eclectic mix of people, yeah. like you had Scott Galloway on, yeah. who obviously, you know, cares a lot about these oh, issues yeah, with respect to young males and, yeah, and kind brilliant. of what's happening. And even, um, you know, the architect who built yeah, the-, the, the well, Yeah, what, what what is that BB, like that architecture yeah. that he built like- Binny uh, shells, yeah. Right, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. So, and it's a it's a sustainable building yeah. material. Amazing. It's very cool. Amazing, yeah. amazing men, amazing. Yeah. yeah, and they, you know, so so I'm trying to get broader in that and I want more wellness. And how do you like make that selection or curate that experience? <laughs> that's something people? I think about as well. <laughs> like when you're thinking like, who can I get or who should I get? Like, I just know, in the evolution of this show, it went from me begging, borrowing and stealing just to convince anybody to sit down with me to now thinking more about like who's, it's not like who who wants to do it or who I can get, it's like who's the right person. Yeah, of course, yeah. Well, for me, I mean, it's, you know, at the beginning it was just who I knew. And then it was people that I really had my eyes on and admired like Scott, mm -hmm. um, like you. And just, you know, it is a case of actually finding a way and I'm relentless when it comes to that. I'm very good at writing letters. I've got, I could have a whole yeah. book on the love letters I've sent to people. <laughs> and I mean it, I, I mean, I really do. I want to sit down and talk to these people. And I think if you're persistent and I am, and if you, uh, if you think they'll add value to the, the sort of um, the big picture, Mm -hmm. Then you know I'll 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 just DM them. I'll find a friend who knows them. I'll find out who their agent is. You know, oh, there's some great people out there that I'm desperate to talk to. You know that I really want to talk to. So you just find a way. Mm -hmm. If you've you know if you've got the will, you find the way. So I think going back to the sort of masculinity thing, I think that's something that today I'm still trying to work with, and I'm trying to find, you know. You can't be all things to all people, but I'm trying to find ways that I can expose or not expose, I can celebrate, I like to say, that help me and that thus help the audience at Mr. Feelgood. So I'm really looking to have those conversations and to learn, I want to learn. You know, I'm, I'm, my mum's 88, she's relentlessly curious. So yeah. she really is, you know, and, and, and I've inherited that. And I just, there's, there's so much out there and, and, um, and there's so much I don't know. I really don't know. And I'm trying to figure out the best way to live with the most amount of peace of love and a growing kind of satisfaction that we're actually doing something of value. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof, 
with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. You know, look, we're of a certain age, we're Gen X guys, Ooh. right? Um, and yeah, when we I think are. about yeah, right? That's <laughs> fucking cool. It too, is cool, right? yeah, man. Yeah. For sure it but is it's, now. It's very, it's very not Gen X to be, you know, kind of vulnerable and wear your emotions on your sleeve, which is, you know, kind of what I do. Like, you know, to be Gen X is to be disaffected and to be ironic yeah. and, and all of that. Um, which we can be, yeah. right? We can so, turn that on. We're grown up Gen yeah, X, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but reflecting on you know the generations that are that are coming up underneath us, I think the idea like young young men like it is a more confusing time. Like we yeah. grew up in an analog world, yeah. right? And God, that yeah. we've we're one of the last generations of people to kind of traverse from analog to digital. Yeah. But our formative years were pre-computer, mm. completely, mm. right? Um, and now. Uh, I think we're in a confusing state for mm. a lot of men where there's expectations for them to, you know, be strong, be the provide, like to, to kind of like inhabit the traditional sense of what it is to be masculine. Yeah. And yet also to be the sensitive person, the person who goes to all the, you know, school events, mm. you know, on the mm. uh, on weekdays at two o'clock in the mm. afternoon or, mm. and who, you know, is, caring and like like somebody who has to fire on all cylinders, yeah. right? And there's an expectation level that I think is difficult for yeah. you know anybody to yeah. live up to essentially. And when you kind of step down in, into even the younger generations who are dealing with, you know, how to date and that's all digital now with these apps and all that kind of stuff and you know, this is something Scott Galloway talks mm. quite a bit about like I think it's really hard, yeah. right? And and you know we're we're at a certain age where we don't have direct experience with those sorts of things. So how do you think about, you know, lending a hand or being a mentor or communicating helpful information to that person who is trying to navigate, you know, those all of those landmines? It's tough. It's tough. Um, I think I think our sons have to, and their tribes have to learn to be vulnerable and be connected as a community and to not have too many expectations because there mm -hmm. are a lot of expectations on them. It is a different world. I think it's very difficult. I think I think they're also very smart, a lot of them, and they can figure it out. And things that I worry about for them, they aren't even worrying about because they're if they're focused, if they if they're fortunate enough to have something they love to do, have a purpose or a goal, or be passionate about something. I think that helps them a lot to direct yeah. their focus and to move forward in the as they go into life as a young adult. But you can't manufacture that for anybody. No. Especially your kids. No, unfortunately. Uh, you can expose them to lots of different things and just hope that something connects with them and lights them up in that way. Yeah. It's true. Um, I mean, it's a it's a work in progress, you know. And it's it's. I think all we try and do is be open, but provide a safe space where they can explore those kind of 
feelings and worries and advise them on what we know and what we've experienced in an ever-changing world where they can then mm -hmm. sort of bespoke it if they're able. And all my kids personally, our kids are, you know, they're pretty, the greatest, really one of the greatest things of my life is that my kids know who they are. And I think that's, you know, a lot more than I did at that age. The, yeah. I think the French say, bien dans sa peau, comfortable in their own skin. Mm -hmm. That's that's like, you're on the you're on the 10 yard line if you have that, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I'm really, I, I, I stand back and I watch them and I observe them in company and the way they sort of address the issues of the day, their own personal challenges. And I feel really, just so grateful that they've got that. That, And I think it probably comes from my wife's mm. family's side. But I think uh, that's that's a marvelous thing. That's a real blessing. I think it's tough out there. I really think it's tough out there. And I by no means have an answer for you that's eloquent or, or rooted for you yet, in all honesty. But I also want to engage, and as we grow younger people into Mr. Feelgood, I want to bring them into the sort of fold mm. and have them write for me. And a couple of them do already. And just sort of the idea of having, sitting around a table with these kids, you know, 12 men. I want you to do this with me at some yeah. point, but 12 really interesting men who can sit around and we can talk and we can listen. And I think community, when you build community, and especially of men, I think that's a really powerful thing. I think to sit and to be listened and to be heard is a really powerful thing. And especially in a circle of men who are, mm -hmm. who are trying to do the right thing, who are, who are trying to calibrate this ever-changing sort of world. I think that's really vital. Um, but I certainly don't have the answers, but I'm, I'm determined to try and help and contribute in some way. Yeah, I mean, vital's the right word. I mean, I've been lucky enough to be parts of groups like yeah, that, you know, know, through recovery and also through other therapeutic modalities. And it's been absolutely transformative for me. Oh, but I'm also aware that it's not the experience of most people, most men, yeah. right? And I think a lot of men suffer in silence yeah. and they just carry on and push it all down yeah. until something one day, you know, breaks or explodes. And I think that's the more typical experience and to the extent that, you know, there are solutions for people who are in that state. Like I wanna be participating in, yeah. in that because I, you know, I think it's chronic, honestly. Yeah, and is. there is an epidemic of mental health disorders that, you know, it's, it's not unique to men, but I think, there is something about men where it's not talked about to the extent that it should be and getting help is not as permissive as yeah. it should be. And it should be. And we should all, you know, we should take time to reach out to our community and mm -hmm. put the effort and the energy into building these uh, sort of, creating these situations where we can all exchange, where, you know, we can sort of feel safe to talk about. I mean, the whole vulnerable thing, that's a really w sort of mysterious one for mm -hmm. me. I know it's important and I know it's valuable and I never really <sighs> recognized my own acute vulnerability until I started doing Mr. Feelgood. I had episodes, but consistently being accountable and having to do this after having had an agent who just said, this is the flight, get, this is how much. There you are, you know. Yeah. And I and, and I, I, I I still I'm still really curious about the whole vulnerable thing and you know, when to be restrained, when to be open, what value 
will that give the person I'm sitting with? You know, and I still, my Yorkshire roots are like, yeah. no, man up, man up, you know. <laughs> don't talk, well, there's certainly... don't be soft, you know, and all that stuff, but you won't survive. You won't survive. You no. won't survive. You'll, you'll be a, you know, you'll, you'll self-medicate, you'll drink, you'll whatever your drug of choice is, or you'll just implode yeah and you'll freak out and you'll do something stupid and i i think we have to change that maybe it's an education you know maybe it's having people like you and scott myself perhaps you know going in and talking about this actually uh delivering uh, uh lessons on this sort of thing you know actually going into the education system and and i do think you know doing retreats with fellas with men is really good young mm -hmm. guys and and older guys and i think there's a lot to be said for taking sage advice from those who came before us, you know, even though they lived in a in a in a more closed off sort of or a more one dimensional idea of masculinity, I I, I was brought up to respect my elders, mm -hmm. and I was lucky because when my parents divorced, I'd go and see my father, and he'd always do meals on wheels, and he'd take me around delivering food to the elderly, and most of these guys had just come out, and ladies had come out of the Second World War; they mm -hmm. were the last, mm -hmm. and it was fascinating to engage with their sort of stoicism and their dignity. And I think, you know, I learned a lot about listening to people then. And and uh, I, think, I think we have to do something about it. I think we have to engage. I think we have to sort of join forces and, you know, create something that really does... Because the important thing is a lot of people sort of start doing these things, but it's the... It's, it, it's being there for the long ride, which is important. Yeah. And especially in this day and age when everything's so disjointed and quick and we're overcome with sort of information, mm -hmm. I think to be consistent is really a great quality to have. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're mentoring someone, you're in it for life. Yeah. You know, you should be and you'll reap benefits, you know, but but really it's you, you, you can't just do it for a a day, you can't give a bit of advice no. and think it's done. You have to be consistent. Yeah, and you know, set against a culture in which everything is ephemeral, like everything yeah. disappears, like mm. you know, tissue paper on fire mm. from one day to the next. Yeah, the idea of consistently showing up and that accountability piece, I think, is yeah. super important. And listen, you touched on listening. I mean, I think that is at the key cornerstone of everything. I think we've lost our our mm. appreciation for listening. And I think we're seeing that in the, the denigration of the national conversation and our inability to kind of, you know, sit with people who, who see the world differently from us as our information silos continue to separate increasingly. Mm. And it's a confusing time, right? Mm. And, I, and to the extent that being vulnerable is somehow curative, it's also important to, you know, check your motivations behind that Mm. that vulnerability because there is something called performative vulnerability yeah. that we're seeing on social media. And I don't think that that is helpful either. It's mm. sort of like what is helpful to, the, to somebody else in, in how I communicate from a place of honesty and integrity versus let me tell you some crazy story that is horrific and embarrassing for the purpose of of just you know, shock value yeah. or you know, creating attention around yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I think um, I think it's a day by day, moment by moment challenge to be present, you know, mm -hmm. to be really present with somebody, to listen to somebody, to um, social media, man. I mean, it's oh, it's a tough yeah. one. It's a tough one and it, it's, it's great in many ways, but 
you know, being a father of a daughter, you know, my boys aren't really, they're not at all involved, but my daughter's young and she's a brilliant and, you know, to see what they go through really when they engage with it, it's, it's, it's tough, you know? So I just think ultimately we've got to keep being present and available and, and, and listening to people mm -hmm. and trust that we'll, find the seeds of something that will help all of us benefit. Because I think all of us, whatever age we are, it's tiresome, it's exhausting. And I think we've just got to, part of our lives have to be grounded. Part of our lives have to be, for us to survive, for us to thrive, part of our lives just have to be connected and on a really, you know, um, authentic level of, 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 you know, the only thing I know is love. You know, that's the thing that always comes back to me. The only thing I know is really the love I have for my family, for my friends, for nature, for music, for people who I admire. And that's sort of the one certainty for me. And I really don't have the answers, but I try and go into the day every day. I really do with, with that in mind, knowing that I'll get through, knowing that I'll find a way, having hope with that, which a lot of kids struggle mm -hmm. with, of course. And when I do that, when I overcome my fears or my doubts or my overthinking or everything else, I mean, it always works. It always seems to give me a, energizes me in, in a way that I, that makes me feel good. Yeah. You know? Mr. Feelgood. Mr. Feelgood, baby. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. You're, it's it's kind of just come out of it, it really. Um, it's, you're a spiritual seeker though, yeah, too, right? Like I, I know that you're super curious about all different mm. forms of, of spiritual wisdom. Weren't you, weren't you doing a project with Satguru or a documentary or something like that? Yeah, no, well, I did. I, I did a retreat with Satguru and, and um, you know, I was into yoga. I mean, it mm -hmm. started very early when I was literally 12 years old at school in England, they gave you a Gideon Bible. Mm -hmm. and, I, and at the back of the Gideon Bible, there was a calendar schedule to read a verse or 10 verses every night. And in a year you'd read the whole thing. And I read it every single, religiously, no pun intended, every <laughs> single night. Uh -huh. And I was really interested in that. And then we moved into a different house and my next door neighbors, there are three boys and a, a single mum, and they were Jehovah's Witnesses. So I took on being a Jehovah's Witness at the age mm. of 12 or 13 and went door to door, knocking on the oh, doors. you did, you were I one did. of those kids. Yeah, I was, yeah, wow. I was. And, and it, was, it was, it was, <laughs> it was, when my sister, got into a car accident and needed a blood transfusion and that uh -huh. kind of that kind of turned me away plus i got to 14 and 15 and i, I like girls you know and i was like okay this is a bit too you know uh -huh. too restricting for me um but i was naturally a seeker and i am to this day and 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 so you know i i did various things i read many many books uh on various religions and Carl Jung and Buddhism and Zen and you know Hinduism, everything. I was just really like a sponge, wanted to take it in. With Sadhguru, it was just really extraordinary because a friend of mine um, practiced with him regularly and mm -hmm. she, she invited me to see him speak. And actually when I saw him speak, I wasn't, didn't, didn't fix me. You know, it didn't, it was, it was a, a certain set of people, and I thought it was it wasn't all the, the artifice around the. Yeah. I've, I've sat at the feet of yeah. many. Yeah. Of, I, I don't I, not with Sakuru, but lots of other yeah. people from that kind of world and universe. Yeah. And there is something about all the 
you know, energy around that person that's difficult to kind of get past. It was. And, and gauge like, is this real? Yeah. Is this wisdom legitimate? Is yeah. this an artifice? Like what is actually going on here? Yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, doing the yoga for, I think we were doing it, you know, four o'clock in the morning, getting up and doing it. And I'm not very flexible. You know, my mum at 88 can touch her toes after having both her hips done a week after having her hips done. I'm, I did hot yoga for four years. I still can't touch my toes, you know. Right. Um, that aspect of it was challenging, but also, you know, just trying to figure out what was going on and everything that you say, it was, it was the same thing. It was, it was interesting. And then I, I was really obsessed because I really wanted to talk to him and I wanted to know more. So I reached out to someone at OWN and we were preparing to, you know, Own, I was trying to- Oh, you mean Oprah's Oprah, network? Oprah's uh -huh, thing, yeah, yeah. And we were preparing to actually go and sort of, you know, get in there and have me, find out about this and discover this and you know ask him questions tough questions i think and then i think discovery came and bought it out and it all fell to uh, pieces and that was that uh, but but you know my time with him and i i want to interview him that's on the cards um was extraordinary in many ways you know so you 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 learn from every experience or i try and learn from every experience that i have and everyone who's sat in front of me and you know there's no there's no way there's no one way there's it's it's a culmination of everything that you absorb in the environment around you and just trying to focus on the best of that to help propel you through another day you know or help yeah. you feel more equipped to help those around you does that make sense yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm curious about what that looks like for you now. Like, what, how does that translate into a daily practice? Mm, uh, you know what? I'm or or it doesn't. It does and it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm I, you know I mean you said earlier about when you feel challenged. You know, I'm presuming. Tell me, correct me if I'm wrong. That you get on your bike or you go for a swim or you go for a run, and that's when you feel. You know, I used to do it sort of on my motorbike, but it's mm -hmm. not working at the moment. You know, I did TM for two years religiously, mm. twice a day, and that was really that started to get really yeah. good. But then I dropped it. You did. You got the mantra and the whole thing. Well, I got the man, ma you, mantra. I did that, and then when did you? Where did you? Who did you do the training with? Um, I did it in Santa Monica. Oh, you did? Uh, oh, no, I didn't. I with did Bob Roth? No, 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 no. Uh -huh. No, I did it with this one gentleman. It was actually sorry, it wasn't Santa Monica. It was, it was Beverly Hills. And I was really determined to make this a part of my life. And I'm a massive David Lynch fan. Yeah. And at times it was wonderful because my boys just naturally came and started to do it with me. And that was a really beautiful thing mm. to have in our house to sit there for 20 minutes in silence. And that really opened their eyes to that sort of practice and those sort of uh, um, learning those modalities to help them improve their sort of well being. And then I dropped out and then I forgot my mantra. <laughs> And I was like, what you is it? it? It was some kind of about a year and a half. Oh I was very God. busy, man. I was everywhere. But it was it was an hour and a half. It was sort of- Is there some sort of policy like when you forget yes. your, your password, when yes. you, you can retrieve it, yes. have it locked down somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So that's what, you know, yeah. so a sort of year passed and I thought I've got to get back into this because I've got to carve uh -huh. myself some personal space every day because otherwise I'm a headless chicken, you know? Yeah. And so, and I think it was a Sanskrit word, the original one, and you're not allowed to say sure. which one it was, obviously. And so I went back to TM, I contacted them, and I said, could, I, could you give me another mantra? They said, oh, you have to find the original guy who in initiated mm -hmm. you. 
So I found this, the guy who eventually he'd moved out of LA, he'd gone down south and, and I drove there, you know, sort of Long Beach way and I went that way and we went in and he sort of renewed and we went through the whole thing again. And then he gave me a, a mantra and it wasn't Sanskrit at all, it was really rudimentary. It was like, a, you know, I'm not gonna say, but it was, there, it was a basic thing. And, it, and that made me realize that within that practice, it's really, the word is just there to bring you back. It's just a grounder. It's not got any magical, magical properties. Mm -hmm. It's just a grounder and that just, just works with the sort of neurochemistry of, your, of the way your brain works and fires. So, but again, you know, it's, it, I carried for a while and, and, and practiced for a while and then life took over me. And so now I'm trying to, you know, I'd lo I, I'm, I, I'm ready to sort of get on that thing again, mm -hmm. you know, get on that. I want to, I mean, now literally I get up at five in the morning and I go and sit outside and I have an hour of quiet on my own and I write and, or I just, I'm just grateful. I just try and be grateful for my family, for a roof over my head, for food, for my children, for my friends. And, um, you know, but I'd, I'd really, I, I, I need to, I do, I do feel a longing to sort of have something that can be with me consistently forever. You know, that sort of magic practice or not magic practice, but again, it's, it's, it's owning the fact that you should look after yourself. Mm -hmm. You should look after yourself. Yeah. You've got, I mean, even in the shower, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm 57 years old. Man, I've been lucky and my body's, you know, you know, I'm no, you know, male model with a six pack, but, <laughs> but I'm, but I'm, you know, only but, the most successful male no, model. No, but of you all know, time. but I'm, I, I look at my body and it's a vehicle and a vessel, and I think, aren't we lucky to be in this car, this vehicle for all these years? And it's really worked pretty well for me, given, you know, the amount mm. of sort of hammering it's taken. I don't mean sort of through drink and all the rest of it. I'm talking about you know, just different plane time zones, just the, uh, the um, amount of energy that we put out into the world mm -hmm. every day and the things we deal with and the plates we're spinning and the sort of forward motion, the momentum of life. I, I'm, I'm really amazed that, you know, and I'm really grateful, touch wood, that I'm in, you know, good health. Yeah, well, I think gratitude seems to come easy for you. That is a natural disposition yeah. for you. That it's, it's far more elusive for me. Mm. Um, is it really? It is. Like hmm. I could use a gratitude accountability partner in the way that perhaps mm. you could use a meditation accountability yeah. partner. Oh, and wow. I really believe, I believe like I'm happy to be that person for you. Mm -hmm. um, oh, wow. Gratitude is not something I connect with naturally. It, it requires a lot of intentionality and effort on my part to really, feel wow, that in myself, really? but I am very aware of trying to bring, trying to create integrity between how I'm living my life and, and how I'm expressing myself publicly in the work that I do. Yeah. Um, and I really think that for you, and this is a reminder to myself as well, that the greater alignment that you can create between those two things, like if you can really like dial up the meditation and the self care piece and all of that, it does translate into the, like the success and the extent to which Mr. Feelgood will connect in a meaningful way with an audience is directly calibrated to, you know, how much you are living those principles in your mm, own life, for sure. right? And this is something that's hard, right? Mm. Especially when you're up against it and you had shared like you were up late last night trying mm. to get this 
thing completed and out and all of that. Like I relate to all of that, mm. but but um, and and we get we get like calcified or wed to like this. It has to be done like this, and I'm the yeah. only one who knows how to do it. And yeah. if I have to stay up all night and yeah, whatever, managing, yeah. But like the 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 magic is in the letting go and in the empowering of other people and and in the. Um, like kind of the like prioritizing your 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 self care over like those little details that actually don't matter. Yeah, you know that's a that's a it's tough. Yeah, though, right. Yeah, it is. I can't. You see, for me, I'm so grateful for you. I really am. I'm so grateful for what you do in this world and the way you do it. And it, it you know, I, I, you've been an enormous sort of pioneer and. Uh, Leader in what you do because you're so authentic, and it, it surprises me that you know you, you're, you're challenged by that because I feel like you're you know. You but should when be... you say that, I like I get very defensive. No, I feel it. Yeah, like, I saw your body twitch. Yeah, uncomfortable <laughs> for me to hear I know, that. No, but what, after what you've gone through and what you've done with your life, I feel that you I'm should very be very uncomfortable. Uncomfortable being held out to to being any kind of like ideal or you know paragon of any of these yeah, notions. I like hear that. I get know, that. A messy work in progress. Yeah. Well, I'm so. in your club, baby. I'm the same. I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to balance. I'm trying to walk the walk. You know. Um, I think it's really important to look after yourself, and I'm most of the time I'm running and doing other things, you know, and I'm not I'm not prioritizing. I'm trying to work out that discipline, and to to really accept it as something that I can only be of uh, of genuine value if I live these principles, if I um, practice them, and um, and forgive myself when I don't, you know, when I fall fall off. That's a massive thing. That's like vulnerability, is self love, self forgiveness. I mean, self love. Saying that, you know, it still there's an echo there, a shadow of, <laughs> you know, yeah. self love. You know, it's all about, you know, oh, don't be so selfish or don't be so stupid. Don't talk about yourself, lad. Come on, crack on. And so I, I think it's, you know, we just got to. I just. Keep going, and and uh, I want to get to a place where there's a little more control. But at the same time, I, I understand that mm. there's so little control. Really, you can only just do the best you can do. Yeah. So, how do you balance the ambitions that you have for yourself, creatively, professionally, with Mr. Feelgood, versus like being really grateful in the present moment and and freeing yourself or unshackling yourself mm. from. A desire, or you know, a, a, a sense that it needs to be any different than it already is. Poor, that's a big one. Because, um, like, your life's pretty good. Yeah, it as is. is mine. Yeah, no, it's good, but there's always room for growth, and you've got to make an effort. You know, you've got to. You've, we've got to also. I think what we also have to do is have a bit more laughter. You know, in in life, I think we have to get lost a bit as well, but within the joy that's healthy and that's, mm. you know, and I think that comes with being with people as well. I mean, I've got so many people I see who are so stressed, friends and people, acquaintances, and everyone needs to just really relax a bit and have some fun and have a giggle. You know, I mean, giggle therapy. We should do giggle therapy with some stand-up guys. You know, and 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 we've we've got to. I've got to be. I've got to learn to let go more and allow for things to happen. And that is sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not. But when I do it, 
generally it's just energizing and it's brilliant yeah. and you feel good the other day the next day you know you feel good about what you do so it's a work in progress a messy work in progress and and, and there's no i've got no formula at the moment we're a startup we're grafting we're moving sometimes i you know, I question it, but I push through it because also I've got two other people that are working with this, me, and then this, you know, we're an outlet for a lot of people in different countries now. And I think that's, you know, you've got to stay in the game and you've yeah. got to try and evolve in a way that becomes lean and more and more authentic and more and more of value. And I mean, real value. I don't mean dollars and cents. I'm talking about the real value of the stuff that we all connect with and we're all looking for and we all need. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm doing. I've got no, I wish I had better answers for you, but I'm, it's, no, it's really, it's just really, you know, it's really a, I don't even want to say we're up against it because I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to sort of put it in that, that label on it. But because but, we're not, because we're here and we're lucky and we should be grateful because we've, you know, yeah. we're not in the trenches. We're, we're not in the, the trenches. We're out here living the best life we can, full, uh, pursuing a dream and an ambition and an intention. And I think we're, we're, we should be really grateful just mm -hmm. for that and for fresh air and, you know, for the ocean and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm a work in progress. I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm trying to, if, if something tells me, in my gut that it's right, then I, I follow it, you know, and it, whether it's a conversation or, you know, an action or I just really trust that. And, and Have you always trusted that or have you learned to trust it? I think- And how do you know when to trust it? Mm, that's a good one. Um, my gut has been unreliable in mm, the past. And the way I've thought about it is the, the trustworthiness of that gut instinct has a lot to do with, it, it's back to that integrity thing, like how much, is the way in which I'm living matching up with the values that I aspire to inhabit. You know, yeah. if I'm out of balance with that, then my instincts are probably going to lead me towards a bad decision versus a wow. good one. Wow, wow, you're so self-aware, man, you're evolved. You're so <laughs> only, only through making bad decisions and yeah. being in pain, I, I assure you. Yeah, but that's just to be aware of that and to have the support of your mentors, you know, I mean, I wish, I would love to have mentors. I would love to be in that group of, of people that uh, that allow for every aspect well, of my character. You, you, can, you can, all you have to do is, you know, drink yourself into oblivion well, and destroy I, your life first. And yeah. then they, they, you will be welcome in. <laughs> I guess, well, I don't drink anymore. That's been over two years now and that's helped in a, in a way. But oh, I think, tell me about that. Well, I just, I just, you know, no one drinks in our house and mm. uh, my kids don't drink and um, my wife doesn't drink. I mean, she's probably had five gin and tonics in all the years I've known her. And I wasn't a big drinker, but I, I, I could drink, you know, and it's part of the culture I grew up in. Yeah. Um, and then when we went into lockdown, I found myself drinking a bottle of wine on my own every night. And apart from the fact that it made me snore, and that was kind of pretty obnoxious, I think, for my wife. Um, I just thought, oh, I'll stop, you know, I'll give it a couple of days. So, and I think also, in all honesty, I think I was grumpy and I think I was probably insensitive when I drank and I wasn't as mm -hmm. jolly and life and soul as a party of perhaps I thought I was. And I realized it wasn't fair, especially when you're locked in, you're incubated in this small space and we didn't know what was going on. So I stopped on the 14th of June, 2020, I think it was. And I thought I'll do it for a couple mm -hmm. of, 
you know, days and then it came to the weekend and then 11 days later, it was, I think, you know, I was coming up to a birthday and I realized that I hadn't not drunk on my birthday for over 40 years. I thought, that's weird. So I got through that. And then I just sort of got into the rhythm of it, you know, and I liked the idea that I had control over something, um, you know, that, that, that benefited the whole family. And then when we started to open up, I went to a friend's house. We met, you know, with distance and masks and we met outside and he has extraordinary wine and, and uh, tequila. And he offered me both and I sort of was about to, and then I pulled back and said, no, let me see, mm. you know, and, and, uh, and it was fine. And since then it's, you know, it's, it's, it's been fine. And I, you know, and it's, it's and I, I don't know whether I've had any eureka moments of, ooh, this is what it's all about, uh, and any epiphanies, but it's, it, it was a control thing, I think. And it was also out of respect for my family. And, you know, my kids don't drink. My boys don't drink. They mm -hmm. don't, you know, which is extraordinary. Yeah. I was 12, I was drinking. You it know. is interesting that generation doesn't have the same relationship with alcohol that our generation did. No. Like I've been out in lots of, you know, kind of bars on the east side with the boys playing gigs and, yeah. you know, all yeah. these different yeah. venues yeah. Yeah. around LA, kind of the hip where like a lot of 20 somethings are hanging out. And every time I look at Julian, I'm like, nobody's drinking. Yeah. Or maybe like, you know, like maybe 10 to 15% of the people have a beer in their hand that they're nursing. And that's just not what it yeah. was like when we no. were that age. Oh no, man. You know, being out, right? It was, you know. In, I mean, in, I'm sure there's a whole litany of other drugs that they're more interested in, but, yeah. um, but the, the, the thing with alcohol is very different. Yeah, I mean, it was really, cultural for us, you know, it's cultural, mm -hmm. it was out there on films in rock bands and, you know, it was just part of, part of the course of growing up and becoming a man, you know, eight pints and then we hit the whiskey, you know, mm -hmm. and it was that kind of thing. And how, you know, I think there's probably in my forties when my metabolism started to change drastically, there was an element of vanity as well that I thought, you know, I, I got to keep in shape for my work and also I want a clear head. So you stop doing it. But we, we, we really, we really were born into a culture, you know, New York, it was rolling rocks as many mm -hmm. as you can, you know, down in an evening and it was all that sort of stuff. Which, but, what were your bars in New York when you lived there? Oh, I was, I mean, I was Chica's Locus was the club that I used to go to in Tribeca and Nell's and Bar Spring, oh, Spring Street Lounge. Do you remember that one on the corner of uh, Mulberry and Spring? That was a great afternoon drinking no, place. I didn't, I never went there. Oh, that was great. It's all gentrified now. It yeah. was a really good time then in the eighties. Um, Nell's, Lucky Strike. Lucky Strike, Friday it's and Saturday. Now. I know it has, hasn't yeah. it? I just saw that last year. No, that was my my best mates who followed me to America were DJs there. So I yeah. was that was my spot. <laughs> that was my spot. Yeah. I love that spot. We had so much fun in oh that spot, God. you know. Um, but uh, I mean, it was just, it, 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 I, I think we've got to learn what our limits are and how we want to create our life, right? And so at some point, you make that decision. I don't know whether I'll, you know, I might drink again at mm -hmm. some point. You know, it was, there was this romantic idea I had that one day I could introduce my boys to a glass of wine and, you know, we could do that. They sort of European, they Europeans grow up yeah. drinking and that's that. But, th you know, I'm grateful that they're not interested, that they're not bothered about it. I think it's amazing. I think they realized a lot earlier the value through sports as well, which has been amazing for them, but the value of really taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a positive of what they've been exposed to. 
having access to yeah, sort of YouTube sure. podcasts like yourself and well, you know. It's, 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 really, it's interesting and curious and fascinating to me, the idea of somebody who isn't an alcoholic parting ways with alcohol. Like, cause oh, my, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm steeped in the world of, you know, people whose lives have been decimated as a result of drugs and alcohol and the process of, you know, what that breakup looks like and piecing your life back together. But, but the idea of somebody who really isn't a problem drinker, like breaking up with alcohol, I think is super interesting and is also, a newer kind of cultural phenomenon that didn't quite mm. exist. Like I had a um, podcast with this guy, Andy Ramage years ago, Sorry, who's a British mm-hmm. former professional football player, oh, yeah. uh, turned banker and oh. trader. Wow. Who was living that lifestyle in yeah. London where it's all about, you know, going out after work. It's Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and had this epiphany that it wasn't working out for him. and bucked the trend of his industry and decided that he wasn't gonna drink anymore and created this community and movement called One Year No Beer. And he wrote this book about, it. maybe you've seen yeah, this book. No, like, yeah. I, I guess it's a big thing in, in the UK. I don't know, um, but, but I wanna read really it. But it's really oriented around people who are not alcoholics, but hmm. whose lives can be improved by not drinking anymore and yeah. all the benefits of that and creating support for the non-problematic drinker yeah. to you know, have a healthier lifestyle. And I think yeah. there's something really cool about that. I think that's superb. I haven't actually heard of that, mm. but I'd love to look into that. I think, uh, I think for me, it was out of respect for my family and it was out of respect of the situation, this weird situation that we were all collectively in, you know, yeah. being on lockdown and it was control. It was, I couldn't travel anymore. I couldn't yeah. work anymore. I had to- And your I, whole, like that's how you get your sustenance. Yeah. Yeah, that's that really is it. You know, I go away. I take. I get my. You know, I get my uh, my fix of travel, of adventure, of of other people, of uh, culture, and then I come home and I try and deliver and and you know employ that in uh, in, in being a good dad. You know, and being a good decent partner. And 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 I think I just wanted to. I think I was. <sighs> It became too habitual, and I think if it's a negative habit, I think you have to challenge that at some point because mm-hmm. otherwise you're going to be in the same rut over and over and over again. And I just really wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to have a bit of control over my life, and yeah. I think that gave me a goal, you know, to do it, to to have a good day, and then or get through a day. And yeah, I did okay. And I, and in the morning, I wasn't snoring. I wasn't. <gasps> You know, right. I wasn't sort of feeling stinky or whatever else and had a clearer head in the morning and then was able to, at that point, meditate and because there was a bit more time and I wasn't, that was just before I started Mr. Feelgood. I was just sort of figuring it out with Pete where we were going, designing the ideas mm-hmm. that we wanted to run with. So I love that idea though. I must read that book. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. And that was really brave of him. That was really brave to actually, I, I would say from my point of view, to be in that environment, that sort of, you know, pack, brat pack, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I think that probably was the hardest part for him because that was the culture of his profession. Yeah, completely. You know, that's probably true for a lot of people. Completely. And, and also, you know, in the old days, the football pro- profession as well, it was, you know, there was, you know, half time and you, you had a cup of tea and a cigarette, you know, and then went out and played another <laughs> 45 minutes. And now, of course, everyone's got so much information. And they're so conscious of being a- athletes mm-hmm. and having to perform. Uh, you know, the top game, bring always bringing their top game that you you have to look after yourself, yeah. you know. So I think it's I think it's really interesting. How long have you been married? How many years have you been married? 
1994, so what's that? That's yeah. uh, 28 yeah, coming up, September the 3rd, around. the day World War II broke yeah. out, yeah. And, and our <laughs> eldest son's, uh, he, he was born two years to the day on our wedding anniversary, our second wedding anniversary, yeah. yeah. So how do you keep that fresh and healthy? I think going away helps. I think having your own interests, passions um, helps. I think just respect helps. Mm. I think holding hands, holding doors open. I think um, really supporting your partner's talents and challenges and um, ambitions, you know, and really being respectful, you know, and sometimes it's really challenging and sometimes we've, you know, it's difficult, obviously, mm -hmm. um, but I think it's just trying to communicate honestly and with respect and with affection. I think affection is really important. You know, I think it's, God, you're making me a bit emotional. I think it's really important to, to hold hands and to be grateful and to recognize, because they go through changes as we go through changes. We're not the kids we were when we were twins, in our 20s. We're sort of, you know, we're not. <laughs> and, you know, all sorts of things happen. And um, you've just got to be open and present and, and be, be kind, you know. And I, I, think, I think you should ask Alison this, really. Yeah. I, think, I think I'm fortunate because I've got someone who's pretty steadfast in who she is and... and doesn't question things that I questioned a lot more when I was younger than I do now. And it, it's just so consistent. And I think she's taught me, especially in the last few years, to really be open and, and, and honest about my own shit, you know, and calling me on my own shit. And, um, and I think as I've wrestled with that, my egos wrestle with that, but really, there's a part of me, my nature is harmony. My nature is wanting to not be in conflict. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm willing to, you know, be there and, and, and learn. And, you know, it's not a male and a female kind of traditional, you know, right. archetype. It's a real, we're a working team and we are a working team. And our kids see that. And, you know, they know what's come to me for and they know what's come to their mum for. And uh -huh. she's an extraordinary mother. I mean, she's extraordinary. She's an extraordinary mother. She's an extraordinary human, but she's an extraordinary mother. And I kind of, I see that and I see how that's matured and developed over the years as we have. And it, and it really is, and it's just, you notice it. And I'm just in awe of that kind of, natural, intuitive, instinctual motherly bond that she has with our kids. And there's been times when I've been, you know, a little, little victim-y, what about me? I'm your dad, you know, and stuff like that. But she's sort of, without really going into the ethereal and the spiritual aspect of life, she's, she just kind of, she's okay. You know, she's, she's secure in that way. She's mm -hmm. so... She's exceptional, but she's so regular and consistent. Solid, in that. solid, yeah. And it's just a really yeah, that's been a massive gift to me in my life, and I respect that and I honor that. And you know, I think it's a case of, you know, keeping the affection alive, keeping the the physical aspects of life is really important to me, 
uh, that sort of intimacy is really important to me physically and and uh, mentally. I think it's I think it's honor. I think it's just honoring somebody, yeah. trying to do the best you can. And sometimes I'm rubbish, um, but I hope most of the time I'm, I'm, you know, my my intention is good and honorable. And, and, and I think you just have to, even in the madness of what we do in our work and the world and everything else, I think you have to take time. And we, you know, tonight we're going to a movie. Mm-hmm. We're so excited to go, in a, go to a movie. And, you know, and that's really good. We haven't been to a movie together for about six months, you Uh know, because we've been too busy. So it's finding that time and we go for a walk every day, but the kids come with us if they're there and the dog, you know, and I think that's a really nice thing to do just to, okay, let's get out of the house. Let's get away from this place and let's just together sort of just take the air and take in nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all really basic things. Real basic things, yeah, just, you know, and I think, and you do it over and over again. And also, you know, her parents are, you know, 18, eight and 89, her dad's 89. I mean, they've, you know, they've been in my life for a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, And she grew up in a healthy environment. So that's, that modeling made her a healthy person and spills into your kids. Yeah, it does. And And they are very close to their grandparents, even though they live in Yorkshire and our kids are over here in California and New York. They, and, and and my mum as well, who's eighty eight and is great. But you know, they they really grew up with that. What we lived here, Alison and I, we moved. We were I was here for twelve years between here and New York, and Ali lived with me in L A. And then when Cooper was born, at nine months, we moved back to England because we mm-hmm. wanted them to be around their grandparents. And I think their grandparents were really sort of involved with them and really made an effort. You know, and every kid, every grandkid, I think there's eleven of them all all together between Ali and her brothers, uh, always got a card and always got the same amount of money on the, they're very consistent. So she had that, they're so fair. And you know, every day they do the telegraph crossword and they're very active in, in sort of their respect for each other, the way they move around and, and, and delight yeah. in each other still, which is because my Papa Nohair, my father-in-law is just, I mean, he's like he's 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 gone from being a lawyer all his life and a golfer, massive golfer, and you know, president of uh, several clubs and et cetera, et cetera. Very traditional English, solid background. Who never? They always say I taught him how to hug, because because he's he in his retirement and as he's gotten older, wow. he's just literally become like a Buddha and he's, he's I mean, a, a Buddha in a, you know, in a very nice suit kind of thing or a very nice shirt and tie, impeccable. But he's just got this joy about him and this freedom and this liberty and this warmth now, which is, it's just infectious and it's beautiful. So I think having Alison had that and my kids had that as an influence in their life, mm. um, really sort of influenced the way we go about it yeah. in some ways. It's beautiful yeah, and, it's positive, and, and yeah. rare. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, one of the things, this is kind of the last thing I wanna to talk to you about. One of the things that I've been spending a lot of time thinking about and, and also trying to improve in my life is friendship, oh. especially at our age. Like, And for guys, like back to kind of mental health with mm. men, I feel like women are are naturally disposed to prioritize their friendships in a way that that maybe guys aren't to like make a blanket, you know, stereotypical statement, but I've just noticed that I've allowed busyness and also being a parent and other things that are important to me to supplant uh, you know, how I I practice friendship in my mm. life. 
And I think living in Los Angeles makes it difficult because everything's so spread out. Mm. If I was living in London or New, New York, York or a yeah. place like that where, you know, sort of moving around and, and, and being a social animal is, is, is a more kind of fluid and accessible experience than it is living here. Yeah. So how have you, you know, thought about or, or you know, maintained friendships in your life? Like, how do you think about that? I just, uh, it's just really vital to me. I think it's so important. I've got a friend, you know, I've got this friend who I've known since I was eight years old, came from the same place as me. His was the house that his parents allowed me to go on a uh -huh. Saturday and watch my first video. I'd see my first video machine, you know, and, and feel really safe there. And, He's an extraordinary guy, worked in factories, very working class. He and his wife adopted a little boy. They had a natural kid. They fostered kids. They adopted this little boy, Brett. And I think he was nine months old. And Brett then was then diagnosed with brain cancer. And for an 11, 11 years, they wow. took him all over the world. And they looked, you know, and they, total, absolute contrasting life to my life. But he's one of the, there, the, the greatest parents I've ever known because of what they've put into. And to this day, his past four years now, I think Brett's gone, they're still fostering kids and their capacity for love and for openness and for care of other people just blows me away. So he's a friend that I've remained in touch. I sent him a birthday card every year since we were 12. And I always remember, and, I, and he didn't send me one until I hit 50, and now he gets me before mm. I get him. I think with friends, I think we, I think if you've got a connection, I think you make an effort. You know, I really care about the men in my life. I really care about them. Um, and I want to sit them down, and I want them to be able to hang out and not feel they have to talk. I want them just to feel that they're loved. I want them to feel they're respected. I want to, them to feel that they're inspiring because they all are. They've all got character, uh, parts of their character that's really important. So I think you do make an effort and we get busy. We're so busy. And I'm already thinking about two of my friends that I want to talk to, you know, and I need to, I haven't spoken to them for a few days, uh -huh. but I always make an effort. And I think I think it's really important to do that. I think it's it's vital to us. You know, I think it's, you've got to have someone to go and talk to. And it's funny, the ones, some of my friends, I'm thinking of one in particular, who was brought up very English, you know, um, just, you know, Eton and Oxford and that whole, uh -huh. you know, sort of class boarding school, the whole nine yards. And he's a kick-ass mover and a shaker who's responsible for some of the entertainment world's greatest, greatest, most successful movies. And when I sit with him, having known him 30 years, and I really want to see him because he's part of the village that helps raise my kids, as I hope I do with his, it's extraordinary how open he is, how vulnerable, how honest, how candid he is when we're together. And I think I provide that avenue for him. And it's not a conscious thing, it's just something that's developed naturally. There's a trust. And There's a, a trust. Of, of safety. There's yeah. a trust, you know, and I mean, and he's, you know, he, I know he values that and I value that and that's our time. So if it's a, a coffee or breakfast together, you know, or it's a text, you know, I tell him I love mm -hmm. him all the time. I tell all my friends I love them because I do. And I think that's really important to, you know, there's nothing sissy about that. There's nothing effeminate or too sensitive about that. I mean, and if, if people think there is, I don't care. 
No, I'm it's, not. It, I mean, I could just share from my own personal experience with you. You're so generous with your time and your words. Like when I was in London and I was staying at our yeah. mutual friend's flat and you know, I would take a picture of a, of a I would see a, a, like a Hockney and I, lo- I know yeah. you love David Hockney and I'm yeah. like, I'm here in London. And then you would send me five paragraphs on like all the places I should go and yeah. what's magnificent about London and make sure you go here. And with such a, like a generosity of spirit, uh, you know, that I think is rare and, and, and beautiful. Oh man, so, I, I, you, I bless you. I, I just, mm. I, I, I hope it's not rare. No, I hope <laughs> it, it is I, rare. Well, if it is rare, it is then rare. we've got to, then, then it's about us just pushing it a bit and making sure yeah. our friends are okay. And make, I do that because I'm so grateful to you for what you do. And it just, you're in my town. And I just want you to see the best, you know, I'm a brilliant tourist guide in New York, LA and, and London. And, 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 and I love it. I, I, I thrive on being able to show people a, a different side of things. And so those things I sent you is just knowing who you were, who you are, having read your book and having gotten to know you over the couple of last couple of years, it was just natural for me to want to share that because whether you do it or not, You've got it now. And next time you're there, I want you to take yeah, your I bike. I only did like maybe one of no, the it's 10 okay. things you told me. <laughs> two, things, two things you've yeah. got to do is one, you've got to take a bike ride around Richmond Park. You've got to sneak through yeah. the gate under a full moon. You've got to do that. That'll just be so good for you, I think. And the other thing is you've got to swim in the sort of the baths in Hampstead. In Hampstead. You know, yeah, you've got that to do that. That was the one thing I, I thought I was going to make time for. And well, I, you will I do. Make it happen. You will do. All right. Um, I think. Um, I think it's. I think. You know. I think in a way, when you go to all the support you've had through your life with your challenges, didn't don't you feel a connection and a friendship and a and a transaction in the most positive way with the people that you stand with in meetings or oh for sure you do yeah of course but do you just sort of leave that and and that's you know you can't compartmentalize that or do you I'm presuming you work with as a mentor for people not in any kind of formal way right I mean there's people in recovery and that's a separate thing um, but just in terms of like I wouldn't say I'm formally anybody's mentor but I try to be generous with my time yeah. and my maybe not advice but you know experience based whatever I can share that can be helpful to other people so I do put I, I put time and energy into that and that those are like daily text messages yeah with lots of different people for the most part but like for occasional instance- phone calls. Yeah, but for instance, when you when I reached out to you and said, "Should we have a chat? Should we have a catch up?" You come back mm-hmm. from England. I'd been in Europe as well. It was just you know I didn't know if you had time because I presume, like me, you you know you're you're very busy. Um, and I also respect that you need your time out and you want to go cycling. I presume and uh-huh. that you want to have that time to just sort of you've got a lot going on. So I respect the fact that you're a very busy man. But we met right and. I had no idea that this would be the the fruit of what we sat down. I just wanted to see you because I really yeah. wanted to see you, you know, and it, to me it was those sort of things, whether they're spontaneous and usually when it's spontaneous, I find it's even better and it's more inspiring. Um, just a, that's the magic of friendship, you know, sitting down and having a conversation like we're doing now and just being able to learn something, be challenged, you know, um, feel warm, feel safe, you know, and, and know that the person's opposite you and you do this so well, really has your best intentions at heart, you know, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing, man. That's got such power 
to support and inspire. And, and, and as an example as well to my kids, you know, when I go and see my friends and I come back with an idea or some kindness in an interchange or something that I hadn't recognized, whether good or bad, I, I talk very frankly with my, my family and my kids, my, my boys, especially my daughters in LA, uh, sorry, in New York. And, and, and that just cements the, my reason and my desire to actually keep doing this because it feels good. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm, I'm really yeah. not, me, I'm not, I'm not, it's not a commercial, but it and really, it really does feel, right. that's coming out a lot more actually, which is really funny just in my day to day and it's not conscious, uh -huh. but it's interesting how this thing that was there and now it, I'm 100% in it and it's literally manifesting from me. And, and that's a, that's in a way is a, it's, it's a lovely way of sustaining oneself, even though I don't consciously choose mm -hmm. to do that. But it is, it is a, a case of, I think, you know, it's, if, if you feel good, if you vibrate at a certain level, if you can push yourself when you don't, I mean, I thought about it coming here and I actually mentioned it to my boys. You know, they're saying, don't say this, don't say that. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to say anything. I just want to be free and I want to be open to you uh -huh. because you deserve that because of the work you do. And, and I said, I kind of feel like, Rich, because I was never a long distance runner. I was a mm -hmm. sprinter. I was a very good sprinter, and um, and and when I've tried, to, I think I've done once. I did a five k, and that was it. And it took me, you know, three and a half hours and uh, whatever. And I think that it was an interesting idea. I thought, okay, I'm feeling a bit nervous because I want to give you everything, and I want to all the different things you, you know, doubts or whatever you have when you're coming into a situation. And, but I wanted to be mostly, I wanted to be honest and I wanted to be present for you. And I thought, I wonder this feeling, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna go with it. I'm gonna put, go with it because I trust that it's gonna be beautiful and I trust that there's gonna be some, some, something real and uh, uh, come out of it. But I did think about you when you're running and when you're on the 22nd mile or whatever it is and it's really, fucking hard work to push yourself or from my perspective to put even at 5k to push that foot in front of the other and this is what I got from your book as well and just to keep going keep going get to the other side and I thought well it's almost the same mentally if you can you know um, utilize that skill and that mindset to just push you a little bit further mentally or in public speaking or whatever it is then that's that's what you got to do. You got to chip away at that mountain, get yeah. a bit higher, and get a bit higher, and just it, it really is a case of will and a case of applying yourself and and you know not giving in to those little you know doubts or traitors that make us lose what we off might win by failing to attempt. I think Shakespeare said something like that. You know, you've just got to keep cracking on. So. I think I just took us on a whole tangent, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, I know, but I love sorry, it. Sorry. No, it is, it is true. And you know, the, the, the magic is in the chipping, right? Yeah. You wanna think about the, the grand gestures and the, you know, the, the sort of sweeping successes, yeah, et cetera, yeah. but it's really the, the you know, unromantic and unglorious yeah. little chipping away every single day when no one's looking. Yeah, and, it is. And like any, anything worthwhile demands that and yep. you're in it right now. Yeah, man, I'm in, the, what doing. did you call it? I think a couple of years ago, you're in the fire. Yeah. I think you're in the fire. I think you said Julian <laughs> yeah. said something like that. And I, <laughs> and I was like, oh, please let me be beyond the fire. This, and I knew it was just the beginning yeah. then when I interview you. So I thought, oh my goodness. So I really relate to your story. I really relate. Different, uh, different mm -hmm. colors and paints, but it's the same sort of basic thing. You know, we're we're grafting, and it's and 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 you know, we, we've got to get through. We've got to keep going. And there's some days where I'm overwhelmed, 
and I feel like I just want to, you know, hide away or get on a motorbike and just get out into the desert and sort of lose myself or drink. And I think now you just got to, you got to let it go. You got to keep going. And, and, and then it sort of takes on its own momentum and you, and you think, actually, I actually made it. I made deadline last night. Okay, I managed to put all these things together and look how good it looks mm -hmm. and look how well it's written. Not me, I'm not saying just me, but I, it, it's, there's an honesty and an integrity there. And so that, you know, that gives me a little more confidence and then I'll, but I keep at it. I keep at everything. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, apart from long distance running, maybe one day you'll take me <laughs> yeah. terrified, but uh, uh, you know, maybe nah. till my lungs are like, you know, I get my back bursting. I know. First. Are you okay? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, you obviously, cut this out if you want. But you are a friend, and and you are some. And you're going to have to take this for a second. You're someone I admire tremendously and inspired by you tremendously. And the fact that you give me time as well, like we did it when we met for a cup or a juice, you know, that's just brilliant that means so much to me and it, and it inspires me and then i you know it's a ripple effect mm -hmm. and that's i just think if we brought more kindness and um presence and sustained support into the circle of people that we interact with whether it's your audience or whether it's your family and friends i think that's a really positive move yeah. forward well i appreciate that and i'm certainly all about that and to the extent that i can you know be available to you to help you in that regard. And I love that idea that you mentioned earlier about the round table. Yeah. You know, I think there's something really special about that, so. There really is, and I've yeah. already got a there's, a, there's a list in my head. It was interesting, mm -hmm. it was, I was shooting and writing to about Nikolai, Nicolo, sorry, Nicolo Bini. Uh, the architect. Uh, the architect, yeah. and, and he's an extraordinary man. And he's full of passion and life and, an affection. He's Italian, but he grew up in Australia and then came to California. And, you know, he's got the best of all those cultures and really warm human being. And we went to shoot him, uh, take photographs of him at his house. And uh, I'd interviewed him in January, but, you know, it, we, we had to hold off for one reason or another. And uh, at the end of it, there was just myself and the photographer in his home. And he'd done this lovely plate of Italian foods, you know, cheeses and mm -hmm. hams, et cetera, et cetera. And we sat down and the conversation we had afterwards was just so incredible and so beautiful. And Alex, the photographer, who's probably 30 or 32, who really wanted to shoot Nick, Nick because he just, he'd met him once before and loved him in his energy. We sat down and we had this conversation. The next day I said, I said, wasn't that wonderful? What's, didn't it feel good? And he was like, oh, absolutely. I said, and the pictures are amazing. You know, we did it like in an hour mm -hmm. and really good pictures, you know, really great. We really captured his soul. And he said, yeah, it really was amazing. He said, but what was most amazing was the conversation we had afterwards. And that was a kid who's 30. And it just made me think that I know like 10 men that I know that I have such you know, respect for. And I just thought we should sit down and we should all talk about this. We should film it. We should, we should make it natural and real, but useful to other kids and to other people mm -hmm. as an example of what can be done in a, in a masculine way, in a, in, you know, we're not, you know, in, in a really elegant, true, real way, have a conversation. We all need to, you know, listen and talk more. Of course, man. right? That's why we're both doing what we're doing. Yeah, we are. Yeah. And I bless you. 
will bless you uh, to be continued. To be continued. Um, the conversation is just one conversation. Yeah, right, right on. Um, you're more beautiful on the inside than the outside. Uh, I, I do consider you a friend Good. and I appreciate the energy that you brought to this today. And please consider me you know, at your service for anything that you need in, in service to what you're trying to express and manifest because I think it's really cool and special. So thanks, John. Bless you, man, Cheers. bless you. I really appreciate you, right thank on, you. Man. All right, cool. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links and resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at richroll.com where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as podcast merch, my books, Finding Ultra, Voicing Change in the Plant Power Way, as well as the Plant Power Meal Planner at meals.richroll.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on YouTube and leave a review and or comment. Supporting the sponsors who support the show is also important and appreciated. And sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends or on social media is of course, awesome and very helpful. And finally, for podcast updates, special offers on books, the meal planner, and other subjects, please subscribe to our newsletter, which you can find on the footer of any page at richroll.com. Today's show was produced and engineered by Jason Camiolo with additional audio engineering by Kale Curtis. The video edition of the podcast was created by Blake Curtis with assistance by our creative director, Dan Drake. Portraits by Davey Greenberg, graphic and social media assets courtesy of Daniel Solis, Dan Drake, and AJ Akpodiete. Thank you, Georgia Whaley for copywriting and website management. And of course, our theme music was created by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Harry Mathis. Appreciate the love, love the support. See you back here soon. Peace, plants. Namaste. Namaste.